I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzola, Sam Monson. We're live here on YouTube, and it is time to preview Week Nine in the NFL. Now How we're you doing? now we're officially uh, beyond the halfway point. We are right? beyond the halfway point. Uh, let me finish tweeting this out. Yeah, generally, I think it would be better if you could do that before the show started. Sometimes I'm not prepared. Right. But I want to tell everybody that we're live here on YouTube. We're previewing all the games. You had some questions for the people as they're coming in here, right? We had some things we wanted to ask. Uh, Charity drives and, and various things. Okay, sure. I was going to time that for a show where we weren't you know, oh, okay. I know. up we're against t- two and a half hours already. You're but- right. No, we're two hours. It's a two-hour show coming up right here. Okay. That's what we're going to do. So, all right, let's just get right into the previews then. Well, you might as well. You can't tease that. You can't leave it hanging for people. you got to do it now. Well, what was it? I don't all remember. Right, well, two all things. Two quick things. Yes. Number one, would, there, would the people have interest in watching some kind of old NFL game along with us on YouTube, right? So we'll find one on YouTube. We were thinking Randall Cunningham games. Perhaps a Randall Cunningham. Because Randall Cunningham has yeah. some of the most insane box score stats in NFL history, and he's kind of just before both of our times, really, you know? Like at the age where we don't really – we don't have a great memory of watching yeah. Randall Cunningham live the first time the NFL around. Right. At that point. So yeah. I think that would be an entertaining watch-along to be like, what the hell is happening in this game? Uh, but it could be anything, right? If a game is on YouTube, we can watch it. Uh, and you guys could watch along with us. We'll go live on YouTube. We'll figure out if we can do picture-in-picture picture or if this has to be a, like, click-the-thing-now type of deal. Anyway, would you have interest in that? If so, I let would. us know. I Hashtag uh, NFL Podcast at pff.com. And then we have to get around to the next charity drive because we've done nothing for months at this point. We were thinking, what would it, should we get a four-way charity drive competition going? You versus me, as usual, but also Brad and Trev, who are now weekly members of this show on Tuesdays and Friday. So I was thinking four separate GoFundMes, right? We each pick a charity, we each raise some money. Whoever raises the most by a certain point in time wins and gets to make the other three people do something unpleasant. Yeah, I think that's fair. So again, let us know. Hashtag, send us an email, NFL podcast, join the Discord. The link is in the description of this show. Uh, Put something in the email description, title, yada, yada, the subject line. That's what I'm looking for. That lets us identify that you're talking about either the charity drive or the watch-along game. Well done. Thank you. Well, let's get into the games. Yeah. All right. It is week nine, starting with Thursday night football, Tennessee Titans at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Steelers favored by two and a half here at home. Short week for Kenny Pickett. He's got a, a rib injury. It's just it's just a rib, one rib. A singular rib. That's what, that's what it seems like it's been. But uh, Kenny Pickett looks like he's going to be a go. Um, and Will Levis making his second NFL start. However, his first outside of the city of Nashville. Mm. Also his first as Will Levis and not Will Levi's, according to Autocorrect. Yeah, if you've ever typed in Will Levis's name in uh, text message, anywhere, Autocorrect will get you. Who makes that call? Because this seemed to happen, right? After his four-touchdown performance at the weekend, 
somebody made the decision, hey, he's earned it now. He's not Levi's You don't anymore. have to autocorrect his name to Levi's. Brad tweeted this, I think, almost right after the game. He's finally made it. My phone's no longer autocorrecting. You were talking about it today. Yeah. Somebody made that call. Somewhere in a room, somebody made the decision that Will Levis has now earned the respect of not having his name autocorrect to the jeans. That's not part of the algorithm there? That's not part of, hey, we've seen Levi's, you know, edited back to Levis enough so times. many times in the last 24 hours yes that it's just like okay maybe maybe people wanted to say Levis <laughs> maybe they did anyway let's uh let's get into the actual action of the game uh Steelers coming off a tough loss against the Jacksonville Jaguars they're four and three and Titans one to know in the Levis era it sounds like I, I've heard conflicting things like he's probably the starter going forward right we're going to see what Will well Levis has I mean I think I think this game determines some things right like Brian Tannehill's sidelined for the moment with his injury I don't know I would imagine even if he was ready to go this weekend they would be like hey why don't you take a couple more days you know just just, just rest up we kind of want to see this one you know and then this game I think will determine like if if Levis goes out there and just has an absolute meltdown and stinks then maybe Tannehill comes back into the lineup next week however if he does anything other than that I would imagine he would be the starter going forward all right well um, Titans are three and four they're in second place tied with the Colts in the AFC South what are you looking for in this game besides you know in, in addition to Levis? yes or I mean, maybe it just, is. what are you looking for from Levis in, in start two here that's the thing it's really I don't even expect him to back up what he did. You know, four touchdowns, I think that was fairly unreasonable in terms of expectations of going forward. What was impressive to me, though, watching his tape, actually, was how poised is maybe the wrong word, but how um, how many answers he had for being hurried and pressured and moved in the pocket. Because it wasn't like, like, that offensive line's still bad. It wasn't like that cleaned up and, <clears throat> you know, he had a great situation to work from. <clears throat> The Titans did a good job, I think, of, of actually reasonably protecting him, getting him on the move, play action, all those kinds of things. They didn't necessarily do it by, you know, passing the ball and first down, all those kinds of things. But the game plan was solid. But every time there was a guy in his face or, you know, the pocket was collapsing or he had to adjust, move off a spot, he did a pretty good job. of Because that was one of his weaknesses coming out, right, is – the mechanics were okay when he was sort of set and could, you know, put his feet where he wanted to. But as soon as that got moved around, particularly if he had to throw left, it, it sort of jacked his mechanics and the ball would come out in weird angles and just generally he was inaccurate on those plays. And it was almost like the shorter the pass, the more inaccurate he became, largely because it was a lot of those throws where there was a guy somewhere and he had to, you know, contort into weird, ankle, weird angles and just dump the ball off. That was different um, last week. He was really quite impressive on those plays, which are you know, not the highest degree of difficulty, but you need to get those right. And if you don't, you know, you're not a good quarterback. So I was quite impressed by that. Obviously, he took advantage when he had those deep shots. I mean, it's really just, can he do that again? Because that yeah. was definitely an impressive debut, but we know one game is tantamount to meaningless. Yeah, it is, it is only one game. I was definitely impressed by Will Levis last week, and I was even more impressed by DeAndre Hopkins, which we broke down on the review show pretty extensively. Hopkins had three touchdowns on his four catches, and it was a little bit of everything, right? Mossing people at the catch point, uh, slick route running, speed after the catch. It was vintage DeAndre Hopkins. And so there have been points in the season where that's how the Titans' offense has looked, high-volume 
this wasn't necessarily high volume. It was high production, but high volume, get the ball to DeAndre Hopkins. And I think against the Steelers, who were just in the mix to potentially trade for Jalen Johnson, the cornerback from the Bears, Steelers have some questions at corner with Patrick Peterson, rookie Joey Porter Jr., Levi Wallace. So I think no matter who is covering DeAndre Hopkins, I think it would be smart of Will Levis to uh, look that way early and often to your go-to guy because I think that's when this Titans offense is looking really good. You mentioned the game plan was good. The stat that I highlighted on the review show, 20, 33 dropbacks for Will Levis, uh, 20 of them featured either play action and or a screen. Right. Right. So you have, you know, an offense that is creating some some easier looks, some open throws, and doing favors for your rookie, which is a great way to uh, you know get him acclimated to the NFL. Yeah, the big I mean the big difference between this week and last week is going to be that offensive line, the pass protection. Um, Atlanta, they're better than they were a year ago, but they're still like bottom third team in terms of pressure rate, right? And the pressure rate tends to be localized up the middle. Like, they don't have any edge rushers, essentially. Now, you're going up against a team that primarily has edge rushers, like TJ Watt. Um, All those type of impact plays are going to be coming around the edge this time. It's just a different dynamic, right? It's not going to be these guys trying to penetrate up the middle. And though they're doing a solid job, like, you can step aside if you know there's nobody coming around the edge, and those are the plays he was making. Now it's a whole different dynamic where all the heat is going to be coming around the edge, can you step up and navigate in the middle of the pocket? I just, it's a very interesting, like, back-to-back weeks where you might be under pressure both weeks, but the pressure is a completely different type, and you're going to have to navigate each one of them slightly differently. Um, the Steelers are sitting here at 4-3. and three. They've had just so many games that are uncomfortable. Like, if you're a Steelers fan, you can't be comfortable watching because the offense will have a lot of, hey, we're silent for three quarters, and we'll have a good fourth quarter. I mean, there's three or four quarters of action this year where the Steelers' offenses look good halfway through the year. Um, But they still have four wins, right? Because um, the defense will keep them in it. And in a few games, Kenny Pickett, George Pickens have had that penchant for for big plays when needed. Deontay Johnson a couple weeks ago, some big plays against the Rams. Um, We got a three-point spread, two and a half or three, depending on what you're looking at right now. For the Steelers, despite coming off their loss at home against Jacksonville, um, and then you laughed earlier in the year, but the Tennessee Titans here, heading into Week Nine, three and zero in the city of Nashville, zero and four in all other cities in the world, including a home game in London. Yeah. And now the Titans. How about this schedule? This is the first of three straight road games coming up for the Titans, and if you include the game against Baltimore, which is in London, it'll be five out of six straight games in which the Titans are not playing. In, in the friendly confines of Nashville, Tennessee. So you're saying this is when Tennessee's season collapses? Yeah. I mean, don't – I'm saying don't overreact to Will Levis. By the way. Uh, because he's going on a three-game road trip here. <laughs> this, like, the, These splits, if you look at their schedule, are likely to continue for a while. I mean, we, okay, we got this Pittsburgh game where Pittsburgh are favored by two and a half or three. At Tampa Bay, I mean, that's losable, though – winnable as well at Jacksonville then you've got the home game Carolina uh, Indianapolis without their primary quarterback away to Miami back home to Houston uh, and then Seattle so you know this split could be pretty 
this could be the season. Pretty severe by the time we get to the Week 16 game is, against Seattle. This is the time when you know coaches try to adjust to the stuff. All right, we don't, we've spent enough time. But Mike Vrabel's probably you know changing curfew times and times that they fly in. Maybe they're flying in this morning or something to mix it up. This is when you start mixing it up when you're struggling on the road. But all right, three-point game here, or two-and-a-half is what you got it at here on green line. So yeah. who are you going? Uh, I think I'm going to go with the Steelers covering that. Um, look, Will Levis was really impressive week one. I was a fan of his coming out. I'm still not buying it yet until we see whether he holds up against T.J. Watt, Alex Highsmith, the edge presence that the Steelers can bring. Have I bet on the Steelers every single week? I feel like I have. I don't know. And then I trashed them. On the Monday show, every week, I yeah. talk them up on Thursday, <laughs> and then trash them. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take Pittsburgh because uh, next gen stats say this game is not in Nashville. Right? Are we now both getting our ass kicked by your? How old is Harry? Seven year? He's eight. Eight, now. eight, eight yeah. year old. Are we both getting our ass kicked by your eight year old son? He's doing pretty well now. We this there might be a wrench thrown in this. Harry, Harry's been punished. For some uh, insubordination <laughs> to his parents recently, and uh-huh. Harry might be banned from football. Oh, uh-huh. for that can include picks, future. though. Right? It includes picks. How does that include picks? We're trying to teach him a lesson. How's what lesson is that teaching him? There's no football unless you you know act better. That just you can't consume football, but we can. Yeah, but how's he going to make picks? He doesn't have a. We'll see. We'll talk. Well, that's that's the we'll idea. Talk to Kelly about it. We'll, we'll talk to Kelly. We'll take away his crutch of knowing things. And just get his picks blind. Yeah, just, just get the pick. Yeah. yeah. In fact, that should be part of his punishment. You have to pick this game blind. Therefore, you, you fall behind us in the standings. But, but last week, I think he may have had more wins than you and I combined. So, yeah. Great. We'll, Perfect. We'll, we'll update our records at some point. They're, uh, they're, they're, falling off the, they're falling off right now. As a parent, though, you've had to learn so many new skills to provide for your family, like how to you know, take football away from your kids sometimes, <laughs> how to do copious amounts of laundry, meal plan for even the pickiest eater, and now how to protect your family's financial future. Fabric by Gerber Life. Provides an easy one-stop shop for your family's financial needs, offering high-quality term life insurance policies plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. Meetfabric, M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not, a, not available in certain states. Prices subject under underwriting health questions. All right, do we have the Discord game of the week? Is it also the game of the week? So there were, Yeah, it is. Um, there were two razor-thin uh, game of the week Discord votes. Uh, this is one of them, and then the other one was the game we just covered, the Titan Steelers. Wow, that was razor-thin. So I think there are some... I think we should talk about all of the the top matchups basically at the top. So let's start. Miami Dolphins at the Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs favored by one and a half in Germany. I misspoke the other day calling this a Dolphins home game. I did misspeak. It is a Chiefs home game. Uh, what I was Germany. What difference does it make? I know it doesn't because because I was saying that the Dolphins lost a home game, basically. The Chiefs have lost a home game. What I was referencing was that I think it, it's interesting that the NFL chose this as the Germany game because you lose like the Tyree Kill homecoming in Kansas City and whatever drama there. But mm. it is Tyree Kill going up against his former team. 
It's the six and two first place Dolphins, the six and two first place Chiefs. It's the Dolphins trying to, you know, show that they belong with the superpowers of the AFC. The Chiefs trying to prove that last week was just a fluke, just their their one bad game that they tend to have every single season, losing to the Broncos. So many storylines here, and we know, obviously, Vegas believes that the game is going to be close. Chiefs by just one and a half here against the Dolphins. Yeah. Um... You know, Miami last week, I guess, was the first week where they showed that they could still put up a ton of points, ton of yards against a decent defense. Like, that had been the elephant in the room for that team heading into last week. And even last week, you know, they had a turnover, a bad interception from Tua. Uh, it wasn't the kind of runaway freight train that it's been in other games. But, like, Kansas City's defense quietly this season has been the best defense that's ever been put next to Mahomes. Uh, so this is a real test for that Dolphins offense again. Um, and, you know, they've passed a few of them this season, but the Kansas City Chiefs defense has been pretty nasty. I mean, they're good at all three levels now. They've got threats at all three levels, and they're mixing it up. They're creative. They will challenge everything that this Dolphins team brings to the table. Yeah, I mean, it's it'll be a challenge for the Dolphins offense. However, the the Chiefs run defense I think the Chiefs defense has been fantastic this year their run defense second worst EPA per play allowed and that's where I think I think Miami with their run game and the explosive plays that they can create might be able to have some success there I mean that's the thing about this Chiefs defense they have, they're not giving up a ton of points as you mentioned probably the best uh, of the Mahomes era certainly the best as far as uh, points per game allowed it's second best in the NFL at only 16 points per game uh, but in that game last week, remember I was trying to – I always try to describe if you're the team playing the Chiefs and you just keep getting three yards, four yards, five yards a pop, and at the end of the day you have this Javante Williams 27 carries for 90 yards. It's one of those, like, it kind of works against the Chiefs. It will shorten the game and keep Mahomes off the field and everything. I think Miami might be able to have some success there. Um, and, you know, if I'm going to use – let me see Miami's home splits here. If I'm going to use uh, Tennessee home and away splits, mm. a reminder that Miami's averaging 43.5 points at home, in part because of that 70-point game against the Broncos, but they're at 30-plus in every single game. They're down to only 24 points per game on the road, which includes at New England, at Philadelphia, you know, so, you know, at Buffalo. Just something to keep an eye on with Miami. Will they be as explosive outside of Miami they've been a different team and um I just you know there's a lot to look to to love about this game though yeah. Miami's passing attack is going to be challenged <laughs> by this Chiefs pass defense been it great. is and you know part of the reason I think that Miami's offense has run into some struggles in recent weeks number one the defenses they've been playing but number two that offensive line which had been playing really well and is still playing really well really well relative to expectations I think uh it's been beat up it's you know been forced into the bench and the starters were not necessarily a, a completely set group anyway but now you know they've been down two or three offensive linemen in each of the last few weeks the more offensive linemen you're down the more to the deep the deeper into the bench you got to go the more struggles you're dealing with and Kansas City has got defensive linemen that can take advantage of that I mean we saw what um, Dexter Lawrence was capable of doing against backup offensive linemen last week at nose tackle. I mean, Chris Jones is capable of doing that kind of thing against basically anybody on that Miami Dolphins offensive line. George Karloftis, we talked about having a, a much better year, too. They've got some 
players that can cause problems for this Miami offensive line if they're not able to hold up, if they're not healthy, and they're, they're not going to be 100% healthy. It's a case of how many of those starters are down. Still. Yeah, Chiefs defensive line, in part, you know, their defense being second best in points allowed this year. Defensive line, their depth, the guys that you mentioned, Charles and Manihu, like their ability to you know, the stat you highlighted a couple weeks ago, Chris Jones just going to go line up over Austin Jackson a couple times right. and probably win, right? So when they need it, and that's, uh, that's to his blind side, by the way, where Chris Jones likes to line up, not the blind side matters. Uh, but just keep an eye on that Chiefs defensive line. Other side of the ball, the Chiefs offense against the Dolphins defense. I've got a couple stats for you here. Oh, yeah? Because um, you got you know the Vic Fangio defense in Miami. They're kind of known for, we're going to play a lot of too high, we're going to – make you throw the ball underneath and and the stats kind of bear that out the Dolphins are uh, allowing the fourth lowest completion percentage on 20 plus yard throws but they're also allowing 88 percent completions worst in the league highest in the league on passes up to nine yards and as much as we I think still picture Patrick Mahomes making spectacular downfield throws that hasn't been his game for two straight years now in last year the short passing game was was outstanding. They didn't need to throw the ball down the field a ton. This year, when they do throw the ball down the field to the Chiefs, it hasn't been good. Mahomes has a passer rating of 48.1 on 20-plus yard throws. And before you say, why are you using that stat? Use EPA. Passer rating's fine in those instances. EPA is good when you have to include sacks and non-targeted passes. I think for targeted passes, passer rating tells the story perfectly fine. 48 passer rating for Mahomes on 20-plus yard throws. There's context involved there. He had to heave one up on fourth and forever last week. But either way, they're not creating plays down the field, Kansas City. And, but I think, that, I think the Dolphins' defense, this plays into their strengths. What I'm curious about with Miami, Jalen Ramsey back last week, Xavier Howard back, those guys could maybe get physical and actually challenge some of the short stuff with Kansas City. And enforce Mahomes to make some plays down the field, which is it just hasn't been good. And it's not all, I'm, it's a Mahomes stat, but it's not all him, right? There's inconsistency from his receivers, there's miscommunications going on. It's just not great, except when he heaves it up to Justin Watson, it seems to be pretty good. Um, so if Miami plays the way they're continuing to play, like the way they have played, I think the Chiefs have a chance to move the ball better than they have in recent weeks. Um, it, if, if the Chiefs have another struggle offensively, at what point are you a little concerned about their offense? Remember, half their games this year, 20 or fewer points, four out of eight games so far. I know it's Mahomes, and you know they'll figure it out and everything, but will they? Do they have enough of that supporting cast? Is it too, much, too reliant on Travis Kelsey at this point? Um, and then the one other factor, can Taylor Swift get to Germany? Is she going to be there? The wit without splits come into play here with Travis Kelsey. Yeah, I mean, can, can she, she get can to Germany? Can she afford, you know, a little a flight to Germany? Yeah, I feel like she could. Okay. I think she can make that happen. I was giving great football analysis and then did that. Yeah, well done. Um, I saw a post. Apparently, Travis Kelsey's filed for a bunch of trademarks recently. Hmm. And the people are like, hey, see, Taylor Swift's giving him business advice. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what people are saying. I feel like you got the business advice this offseason before you ended up in every commercial. Yeah. There's always like a new guy that's in every commercial the next year. This year it's Kelsey. It is. One year it was Baker Mayfield. Kelsey is in every commercial you could find. Um, the, the Chiefs' defense is kind of interesting, though. They don't, they rank slightly. And by slightly, I mean like uh, three one hundredths of a percentage point below league average in blitz rate, right? But they have six different non defensive linemen have at least, have double digit 
pass rushing snaps, right? So essentially they've sent yeah. six different back seven players on the blitz multi, like double digit times this season and a whole bunch more like single digits. So they don't blitz as, me, as, as often as a lot of teams, but they do mix it up and the blitzes are coming from weird places and you can't necessarily pin down who's going to be blitzing at any given moment. Like they're very good at timing and disguising and sort of being unpredictable with who exactly is going to be rushing the passer at any given moment. And that, I think, ties into why they're good and difficult to, to um, why they cause problems for so many offenses, because it's, it's an unusual defense in that way. Spags. Spags. Spags getting crazy. Getting um, crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm loving that matchup. On, I'm loving the matchups on both sides of the ball, man, right? Will, will Spags come after Tua a little bit? Will the Chiefs have a special plan for Tyreek Hill? They'll, they'll know him better than anyone. Will they have a special plan? Or are they just uh, Because you know, Spags does like to play press man, but you don't play press against Tyreek Hill unless you have a, a safety in the area. Um, the Dolphins, I think, have, have learned how to, how to play with teams leaning to his way, or they have to continue to learn. And, and open things up for other players. Uh, so there's a lot. There's a lot at play here. Tua also has Mahomesian numbers against the Blitz this year. Eight touchdowns, zero interceptions, zero turnover-worthy plays. So yeah. forget interceptions. The guy has not put the ball in harm's way against the Blitz this season and a passing grade of 91.6. So he's got the kind of numbers that say don't Blitz them. That's a bad idea. I'm looking forward to it, man. It's, there's a lot of big games this week. This one will kick it off 9.30 a.m. Chiefs by one and a half. Where are you leaning in this one? Uh, I think I probably am leaning Kansas City. I am too. Um, so we both we agree on the first two. I'm going Chiefs. So the one, the one thing against Miami, are, are they ready to play and defeat some of the best teams? Right. right? And are they ready to... Uh, not just beat up on teams with losing records. Are they ready to 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 take that step? I hear I hear Dolphins fans yelling at me right now. I'm just asking the question. Um, I think they'll hang tough. I think it'll be a really good game. I'll take the Chiefs though. I think uh, I will not re- overreact to last week's Chiefs debacle. Yeah, I mean the Broncos. Kansas City is is objectively in that top tier category of teams, along with Buffalo and Philadelphia in particular. And those are effectively the worst games the Dolphins have played, right? When they've run into the top-tier teams in the NFL. So it is a fair question still to be like, can they beat those teams? Can they show the kind of production that they've shown against everybody else against those top-tier teams? This is the next opportunity to prove that they can do that. Unless it's just Tyree Kill super revenge game who goes for 200, three scores. It's certainly possible. Mm-hmm. All right, the PFF NFL podcast is brought to you by Prize Picks, And, you know, I should have talked about this earlier during our Titans and Steelers preview, but we've got the PFF prize picks lineup for Thursday Night Football. We're looking at Tajay Spears going more than 12.5 receiving yards and Will Levis going more than 202.5 passing yards. That's how it works over at prize picks. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, you can go LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at 10.5 combo of three points made, three pointers made plus receptions. Want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill? Mill? <laughs> oh, missed it. <laughs> and comedian Andrew Schultz? Nailed it. 
You can now find community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week. Are you in the uh, Prize Picks community? Are you one of the big names there, Sam? Uh, I don't believe so. You probably should be. Prize Picks even offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. For football and basketball games, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second half, that player is rebooted. PrizePix is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. So go to prizepix.com slash PFFNFL and use code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's prizepix.com slash PFFNFL and use code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, PFF lineup, prize picks lineup for Thursday Night Football. Tajay Spears, more than 12.5 receiving yards, and Will Levis, more than 202.5 passing yards. All right, let's go, uh, let's go Sunday Night Football. We're going to jump to that. We'll do a couple of the games of the week here. Buffalo Bills at the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, of course, we had last year's Monday Night game with the DeMar Hamlin incident. Hmm. We did not get to see that entire game. It looked like it was going to be epic before that game ended up getting canceled. They did have the rematch in the playoffs last year in Buffalo in the snow. Cincinnati Bengals came out on top in the divisional round to go to the AFC championship. Um, both teams in slightly different spots this year. Bengals have really started slow but looking better in recent weeks. And the Bills, you know, at points in this year look like the best team in the league, but they've dealt with some injuries and some inconsistency. So right now we've got two four and three teams in the Bengals favored by two and i might i think i'm going to the game i think i'll be there yeah in the stands huh what a weird talk to our friends at nbc huh. yeah. what a weird game this must be for demar hamlin like yeah i mean whatever about you know they played again last year but it was in different place you know obviously he was in a different spot but like now you know back with the team back playing uh and it's literally repeat. It's prime time in Cincinnati like that. I can't even imagine what that guy's week must look like or what he must what must be going through his mind going into this game. Just I I honestly can't even I don't know what that would do to you. Are you in a weird world of sort of reliving it? Are you looking forward to sort of trying to put things right by this? I literally can't even put myself in that position of imagining what must be going through the guy's brain this week yeah not even really going to try uh, other than probably at least some level of thankfulness and um, I'm sure they're going to cover it quite a bit on the Sunday night broadcast and uh, you know honor the people that helped save his life and everything so overall it ended up being a, a good story in the end right. so that's the key I, I did misspeak earlier the Bills are five and three not four and three so slightly ahead of dropping misinformation everywhere yeah tend to do that but I correct it I'm willing to correct it so uh, Bengals by two here. Remember last week, Cincinnati, Joe Burrow's been creeping back to, to Joe Burrow over mm. the last few weeks. And I think last week was, uh, was full go, um, making plays outside of structure, accuracy, getting the ball down the field, barely missing a throw. And yeah, there's, there's a lot to like about where the Bengals are trending right now. Plus that defense is looking like the Bengals defense of the last couple of years where Trey Hendrickson's been one of the best edges in the league. DJ Reader almost impossible to run his way Mike Hilton playing better in the slot and uh Bill's Bengals man love this matchup yeah I, I mean I would say Cincinnati has been trending back towards being the Super Bowl contending team that we thought they were before their ugly start to the season um 
whereas I don't think Buffalo has been. Like, the Bills have been shaky the last few weeks and, and not necessarily looking like that true Super Bowl contender, even with Josh Allen playing out of his mind for a couple of weeks. Like, he, early in the season, it was kind of like meltdown from Josh Allen week one, a couple of shaky games from Allen, and you're like, you know, they, they're kind of, they're vulnerable to those games, where if Allen doesn't play well, that takes an awful lot away. Uh, but then what was maybe even more concerning is Allen played really well for a while and they still didn't blow teams out. Whereas, so I think you have two teams where the Bengals started off completely lowered expectations because Burrow was hurt and everything was bad. Now the Bengals look back, but the Bills have been kind of wobbling. And I don't know if going after a guy like Razul Douglas before the trade deadline was an indication that they think they need some help, you know, an acknowledgement that things haven't been going great. But I do feel like these two teams, despite being in a similar place uh, record-wise, I mean, obviously Buffalo's better, but trending in the same kind of area, it feels like they're moving in opposite directions. Yeah, Buffalo's different this year because they're just not beating up on the bad teams like they used to. Now, they also, they lost to New England two weeks ago. Um, I think they had that Bucs game in hand, but I think the the old Bills, or the Bills from the last couple of years, would have dropped the hammer when they were up a couple scores. Instead, the Bucks had you know this long, long drive to come back and actually had a Hail Mary that could have lost them the game. So the Bills have been just kind of like teetering uh, against the good teams or against like okay teams or whatever. Um, so I think that's why it doesn't feel as good. But I still feel good about Buffalo as a team. I, I love bringing Rasul Douglas in. They also signed uh, Renta Runstuffer, Linval Joseph. Rent a run they stuff. rented a run stuffer like the Eagles did last year with big Linval Joseph. One of your favorite pastimes last year was checking the film to just see how, uh, how big Linval Joseph looked sitting over, sitting over at nose tackle last year. I'm curious what a, another year is going to look like. He looks very big. He looks like late career Grady Jackson where he would just sort of – was it the Lions that signed him right at the end? And his job was to literally stand up at the snap, lean forward, and occupy two gaps, maybe three. Like it was, you are. It's going to take two guys not to block you out of the way, but just to stop you collapsing on the offensive line. Right? Two offensive linemen were employed in simply propping up Grady Jackson at the line of scrimmage, and then that would chew up two different gaps, and everybody else would try and you know stuff the rest of the run play. That's what Linval is looking like these days. You always say Grady Jackson. I always say Ted Washington. Same idea, though. Guys that were listed at 320 that were closer to 420. Right. Or uh, who's the guy? Ted Washington's a good one. Who, um, the gravedigger, the Packers guy. What's his name? Oh, Gilbert Brown. Yes. Yeah. Gilbert Brown. That's Gilbert. another one. Yeah, because usually you just you throw your, you know, your weight is whatever you entered the league at. Right. And then 10 years later, it's like. Pat Williams, 317. Yeah. Pat, I showed you that thing, right? Pat Williams and Michael Hoyt. Just like <laughs> six pounds enlisted difference between the yeah. two of them. Yeah, pretty much the same guy. Yeah. Um, one of my questions for you. So the Bengals were, were halfway through the season. They started slow. You can maybe excuse some of it because of Joe Burrow's calf and what have you. But they started slow last year as well. And then Cincinnati went on this run where they had a stretch of games where they beat a whole bunch of good teams, including the Chiefs and um, everybody that was up against, that they were you know that was pretty good that came up against them. Last week it was the Niners. The Bengals kind of have to do something similar here if they're going to compete for uh, catching the Ravens in the AFC North, competing for that number one seed as everyone expected that they would. Can Cincinnati do that again? That's my one question. And then the second one is, do the be- we talk a lot about matchups in football, 
we got about a quarter plus of action in that Monday night football game, the Hamlin game. And Cincinnati's offense looked really good against Buffalo. Mm -hmm. And then they did again in the playoff game. We don't have a ton of evidence right now. It's a game plus what these two teams matched up over the last couple of years. Is this one where the Bengals just kind of have the Bills number? Is, that, is, it gonna, is it gonna turn out to be one of those types of matchups? I mean, not even necessarily the Bills number. Like the Bengals, when they're playing at their best, which I think you can say they are at the moment, they seem to beat the best teams. <laughs> They've yeah. had Kansas City's number every time except that one play, one game which almost yeah which they, they almost had three in a and game. it required a guy you know shoving Mahomes out of bounds to extend the drive etc like they had that one one as well they just beat San Francisco pretty handily they have had the Bills number like the Bengals have quietly been that team where when they're at their best they seem to be better than the other teams and somehow they've only made the one Super Bowl and lost that one when they got there but like they you can make a case that Cincinnati's best is better than the other team's best. Yeah, that's um, that's kind of what I'm getting at here. So I think I'm leaning Cincinnati. A couple other things to watch here. Um, Josh Allen, we've maybe unfairly referenced his week one game against the Jets so many times. I don't know if you looked at this recently, but you know he had four turnover-worthy plays in that game, and he has three since that point. Josh Allen's playing a different brand of football this season, especially since week one. It is... It is uh, high completion percentage, taking a lot of the underneath stuff, not actually putting the ball in harm's way because he also had a bunch. Of, he had a couple turnover worthy plays in week three against Washington. Allen's played really clean since that point. I know he's got um, he has five interceptions since week one, but only three turnover worthy plays. So there's some interception bad luck in there from Josh Allen. The other thing I'm intrigued by with Buffalo, with the Dalton Knox injury, rookie Dalton Kincaid comes in on the Thursday night game against Tampa Bay. They're running a little bit more up-tempo, no huddle. I love the flexibility that they were tapping into with Dalton Kincaid because he's not he's a Travis Kelsey type, right? You, don't, you can line up in line if you need to, but you really want him moving all over the formation. Buffalo can line up in anything in their 11 personnel package, one tight end, three wide receivers. They can do anything they want, and I love that flexibility. I'm curious to see if they're going to you know, break that out against the Bengals here Sunday night. Well, the other thing is, did you see the the other thing that changed in that uh, Tampa Bay game was Gabe Davis had a completely different role than he normally has. Yeah. Like Gabe Davis's average depth of target is usually like thirteen, right? It's it's he's the deep target. He's the guy that is um, trying to make big plays deep down the field, and that's I think part of the reason people tend to get frustrated with it is that's by definition a low percentage play right so sometimes it's going to work out great and he's going to have a jerry rice game in the playoffs and sometimes it's not and you're going to be like why isn't gabe davis better than he should you know than, than this why are we not getting more out of him um and part of that is because like his average at the target for his career is 16 yards downfield right his average at the target against tampa bay was 6.9 yards downfield. So they halved, more than halved, if you look at his career numbers, but uh, halved basically this season, his average depth of target in that game. He completely transformed what they were asking of him to do, and he had 12 targets in that game, nine catches. 12 targets is the most in a single game this season by four for Gabe Davis, and nine catches is three more than any other game he had this year. When, with, with Dawson Knox out, like one of their pivots was to completely change what they 
asked of Gabe Davis, and it worked. Kalish I mean, that was here has played pretty well, yeah. and they're getting him involved. So I, I feel like Buffalo's offense is finding their way. In a, in you know, you just described it pretty well. They're finding their way, and, it, and I think we might see a lot of points on both sides of the ball. So let's go. Uh, Bengals are favored by two here. Where are you leaning on this one? Uh, I've talked myself into Cincinnati being the better team. Yeah. I'll take the big game Bengals here. I'll take them to cover the two. Big game Bengals. Yeah, that's what they are. That's how they've been. Right? Right, Eli? Back there? Isn't that what you... What, yeah. Mighty <laughs> roar. See? I hope people can hear that. Gotta, no, they can't. There's no way. They definitely... We got a whoop from the booth. We got a booth. Ric Flair style whoop yes. from, uh, from the booth. Uh, so we're both taking Cincinnati. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to hit the all the biggest matchups here. Dallas Cowboys at the Philadelphia Eagles. That's your main 425 game. This is one of those weeks where the NFL has just three games in the 4 o'clock window. The other two are less than stellar so that people can watch Cowboys-Eagles, uh, your game of the week. Eagles favored by three. Eagles are atop all your power rankings because they're the only team with only one loss. They're 7-1. and one. What are you looking for? Certainly atop the Mike Florio power rankings. Oh, Absolutely. What are you looking for? AKA how does he? How does he separate? <laughs> how does he separate the six and two teams? I just does think. It, I is feel it recency like, bias? Do you think the Chiefs dropped a lot because we just saw them lose? I feel like those are just random, right? It's like as long as he's separating the games one, then who, yeah. the order within the tier of win of X wins is Doesn't just really matter. Just, yeah. yeah, it's the same. It's just, just sort by winning percentage, and we're all winners here. Maybe. Um, what was the question? The football game between the Cowboys and the Eagles. Ah, yes. Anything in particular about it? Just speak? I always say, Sam, what are you looking for? In this yeah, one? I see. That's I got some it. fun stats if you want me to start with that. Sure. Let's see what I you was, got. I was looking up some stuff on the Cowboys defense, right? Yep. Um, so on passes up to 10 yards. Mm-hmm. You know, the Cowboys, you know, they had pick six last week on Stafford, pick six on Mac Jones, uh, Daniel Jones. I think those were all up to 10 yards. The Cowboys are allowing an EPA per play of minus .47. You know, so from perspe- for perspective here, that's on passes up to 10 yards. So teams are losing half a point every single time they throw just a simple up to 10-yard pass, one to, one to nine-yard pass against the Cowboys, in part because of those pick sixes. Only one other team in the NFL has a negative EPA per play allowed on those passes, right? They're usually positive plays for the offense. You dink and dunk and you move the ball. And, you, and the Cowboys, it's like disaster. And, of course, that's skewed by the interceptions and everything. But even just the... The short game against Dallas, under 50% completions on passes up to 20 yards, their defense has been just fantastic, not only getting pressure up front, but um, preventing just easy catches for opposing offenses, which I think puts the onus on Jalen Hurts, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith to make plays down the field. You want to hit some of the the short stuff too, but the Eagles' downfield passing game, which has been very good over the last few weeks, is going to be front and center against this Cowboys defense. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, the Dallas defense still has the best pressure rate in the NFL. I think you could argue reasonably that they have the best pass rush in the NFL across the board. And Philadelphia, who we tend to associate as being in that category as well, you know, they run seven deep, they can get pressure everywhere, kind of haven't been this year. Like they are below average in pressure rate. And as much as Jalen Carter has been incredible for them on the defensive line, the, the rookie defensive tackle, they haven't been getting the same standard of pass rush as they have in previous seasons. Like, Hassan Reddick is not – I know he has seven sacks, so it looks good, but he has 28 pressures and a pass rushing grade of 70. That's, you know, way down on what he had previously done. They are not 
quite as devastating as they had been in the past. Yes, and I think we saw. I, I'm trying not to overreact to last week, but let's let's. What have we seen the last two weeks from the Philadelphia Eagles? On Sunday Night Football, they played a great game two weeks ago against the Miami Dolphins, a Dolphins offense that we just talked up a couple minutes ago. Obviously, they're the best offense in the league. And the Eagles shut them down, big red zone interception, the whole deal. And then last week, for the second time this year, Sam Howell and Washington absolutely tore them apart. And they, and they didn't sack Sam Howell. One sack right? of Sam Howell. Yeah, that's one of those like on-paper deals. Like You, you should start with, we're going to get five or six sacks. Right. Let's just not give up 350 through the air on those other plays. But Washington moved the ball pretty easily against Philadelphia. And they certainly have those games when the front four is not getting home. And I think you highlighted that. They have the name value. They're really not winning as much up front. And they're going up against a good Dallas offensive line. And when Dak, this matchup, I think, fits better against Dallas than, say, the 49ers. Dak has had success against the Eagles in the past. And when you play zone coverage, Dak's pretty good at getting the ball to where he needs to and finding the open man. He played a really great game last week in their demolishing of the Rams. I kind of like the matchup for the Cowboys. Um, And, you know, the the high-level view on this, too, is – Cowboys have to prove that they can beat good teams, right? We've talked about that a lot this year. They got smoked by the 49ers. So is that just a bad matchup against San Francisco? Or is it Dallas really can't play with these top-tier teams, with you know the Niners, the Eagles, the teams that you expect to be competing for the NFC Championship at the end of the year? Yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued actually by that sort of trench battle on both sides, the pass rush against the offensive line, because the Eagles still have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Dallas has probably the best pass rush in the NFL. Then on the other side, Dallas's offensive line has actually been doing a really good job this year. They're top 10 in terms of uh, pass blocking efficiency. I think they're even better than that in terms of just total pressures allowed. Yeah, they're third in total pressures allowed. Actually, t- yeah, tied for third. Um, and Philadelphia's pass rush, as we said, has not been as dominant as it has been previously. So those two things put together kind of suggest again that the edge actually goes to Dallas who have the better pass rush and as good a pass blocking group on the offensive line now the one caveat to that is at the moment there's sort of one fairly significant the weak point of the Dallas offensive line this year has been Terrence Steele coming off that injury right at right tackle so he has a pass blocking grade of 45.8 he's given up a couple of sacks he's given up some pressure he's given up some penalties the Eagles still do have the athletes and the speed and the, the capacity to cause problems. You know, Josh Sweat had seven pressures last week. Hassan Reddick, as we said, his performance is down, but he's still a devastating athlete, a small, quick, fast guy. If they can specifically target Terrence Steele or attack him in such a way that Dallas knows they're going to have to give him a ton of help over the course of the game, you know, that could offset the fact that overall Dallas's offensive line should be able to handle what the Eagles are bringing. Yeah, it's, it's great matchups on both sides of the ball. Um, the other thing I want to with, – with Dallas's offense, last week was C.D. Lamb, high-volume game, moving him around. And I, I think that's the way the Cowboys have to play. And if, if the Eagles take him away, you need the Brandon Cooks and Jake Ferguson's of the world to, to step up. Uh, and, they, you know, they have a little bit more these last couple weeks. Uh, to be fair, as I – you know, if I'm going to do the home road splits for other teams – Got mm-hmm. to do that for Dallas as well. Okay. Averaging 37 points a game at home, 21 and a half on the road. 
Hmm. That's quite a split. It's a big split. Maybe I'm rethinking things. Maybe I'm going to rethink things. I like Philadelphia the way, here. I like the way every year, you know, we like a couple of years ago it was who's traveling the furthest. Yeah. And now it's just who's playing at home. I've I've done home road before. I've you know, I've thought about that in the past. Mm. We need uh, to come I mean you need to you need to turn your modeling skills, right? From the model, the draft projection model to let's throw in the important things that matter. Forget who the players are or the scheme. We need who is playing at home and doesn't have to travel 3,000 miles. miles. Yeah. yeah, like those two or three things, whether you're playing at home, whether you're, how far is your trip that you're making, throw all those in a hopper and uh, come up with an unbeatable pick model. Uh, one of the other off-season discussions during the off-season when you are you know, ranking things, the uh, you know, Jalen Hurts played better than Dak Prescott last year, graded higher PFF-wise. Uh, some people would say, Jalen Hurts is definitely better than Dak Prescott. Other people would obviously disagree. Well, right now, they're sitting at 9 and 10 in PFF QB rankings. Dak Prescott, 9. Jalen Hurts, 10 in the QB rankings. So there's a battle there. They're both playing pretty well. They're both, I mean, I feel like they're both guys that are that top 8-ish type of QB that fluctuates a little bit. You're going to be able to win with them. But I also like the way Hurts has been getting the ball down the field to A.J. Brown, who's been unstoppable. Oh, man, this is a great bat, great matchup. So I talk myself the other way. It's Where are you going? It's pretty impressive, one? actually. 78.1 versus 78.3 in PFF passing grade. Like, yeah. they're basically exactly the same at yeah. this point in the season. Um, I am going to lean with the Eagles until Dallas show me that they can beat the Eagles. Without Gardner Minshew. Yes, without, you know, with yeah. starters. Man, I'm going, shoot. But there was Cooper Rush in Philly last year, wasn't it? Yeah, but it's backups. All bets are off. Like, show me the starters doing it, and then I'll get interested. I talked myself into Philly, too. I let the home road split get in get in there. <laughs> you were all set to go Dallas until you realized it wasn't yeah, in I'll Dallas. I'll take Dallas at, in, when they're at home. <laughs> Almost certainly. <laughs> Depending on what happens between now and then. Yeah. All right, we'll get to our um, cue up the spooky after this game. We'll do it after this game. How's that? Cue up the spooky. Well, we got. I'm trying to communicate. To our, no, it's well, it's subtle. To our, it's nice. Very subtle. We're very professional here. One more unbelievable game this week: Seattle Seahawks at and a bunch of trash. Uh, Seattle Seahawks at the Baltimore. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Let's reset for social. Seattle Seahawks at the Baltimore Ravens. Great game of first place teams, but Baltimore's favored by six with Seattle traveling cross country. Sam, long way to play at Baltimore. Long way to go. Seattle of Baltimore. Uh, Seahawks just traded for Leonard Williams, Giants defensive tackle mm -hmm. this week. And uh, what are you looking for in this one? Um, I mean, that Seattle passing attack against Baltimore's DBs, I think, is, is fun. Um, we know that Seattle's receivers are great. We're starting to see an uptick in JSN, the rookie, Jackson Smith and Jigba, what he's able to do. It's, it's tough, right, because a lot of people were – we're now sort of debating, right? We've had half, half a season, so we can definitively make statements about who the best wide receiver is from the rookie you class. You can, at least. No, you no, I mean, you, you know, people, generally. People. Uh, this is what, this is the, I am being facetious. People have determined that now that half a season is done, we can make sweeping declarative statements about who was right and who was wrong at draft time, right? So now that Jordan Addison is cooking as the number one wide receiver in Minnesota and JSN is being, you know, has had a struggle, it's like, well... Obviously, Addison was the number one wide receiver, and anyone that thought JSN was number one was an idiot. And by the way, I was in that camp, so I'm not like 
mocking the concept. I'm just saying that after eight games or whatever, it's silly. Uh, but part of the problem is Addison is now the number one guy because Justin Jefferson has gone down. Even when he wasn't, there was a, a, a he was there essentially as number two. JSN is locked into being the third slot receiver because you've got uh, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf on the outside, and his role is much more limited in scope. Um, and also, you know, he's got a quarterback and an offense that hasn't been used to targeting that area of the field necessarily. So I think it's difficult for him to have that kind of impact. But they're starting, I think, to find their feet and find his role and be able to use him more, and that only increases the danger level of that offense, particularly when you pair it with some good running backs in the backfield. Like I, Generally, my point is I think this offense is trending upwards because yeah. they are figuring out how all this fits together. Yeah, I mean, at draft time, we knew – I think the way we described it, forget skill set or whatever, Jordan Addison was the most important receiver probably drafted in the first round because Minnesota was immediately going to count on him to be the number two, or as soon as he was ready, be the number two, take pressure off Justin Jefferson. And now that's been you know elevated even further with the Jefferson injury, whereas Jackson Smith and Jigba, it was like, all right, yeah, he'll certainly be the number three option as long as all goes well. Um, and it's that's actually been back and forth with fellow rookie Jake Bobo at this point. But yeah, JSN... You know, much like uh, Christian Watson took eight or nine weeks to figure it out last year with the Packers. Different style player, but all of a sudden it was like, hey, Watson's figured it out. He's a deep threat. Watch out. Watch out for Watson. Um, Smith and Jigba becoming the true number three in the Seattle offense could be huge for them going forward. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a Baltimore defense that has played really good football. Our, um, our friends at Football Outsiders. Aaron Schatz. Uh-huh. Some people call him the Bill James of football. Aaron calls himself that. But Aaron said, I saw him tweeting about the Ravens uh, DVOA. Mm-hmm. This is the first time DVOA has ever been. All right. Are we allowed to do on that the on the show? NFL podcast. Oh, yeah. They're not. They're not competitors. No. Oh, they're okay. fine. But this, this is, they're like the, the, the best DVOA through eight or nine games or something like that. It's a team centric metric that, you know, measures team strength. So, anyway. The uh, former football outsiders, whatever they are now, DVOA loves uh, the Ravens as a team. They do a pretty good job of analyzing overall team performance and adjusting it for competition and everything. And you kind of feel that when you look at the Ravens. Like on paper, the multiple years of making good moves with that front office, drafting, drafting in volume, attacking the right positions, letting players walk, signing players on the cheap. Good offensive line, solid defensive line. The linebackers are playing out of their mind, led by Roquan Smith. Solid on the back end. And the best group of playmakers that Lamar Lamar Jackson has had. So, yeah, Baltimore's good. They look good. They play strong at home. And, uh, you know, which you know matters. Uh, My question with Lamar Jackson, I think he's played great this season. The playmakers have let him down at times. Mm -hmm. But I might say this for the next few weeks. Just Just as a quick warning. Lamar Jackson, through seven, eight, nine weeks over the last couple of years, has been really good. And he, but he hasn't put it together for a full season. And I'm not just talking about the injury. He has not put it together and played, played clean ball all the way through. Even prior to his injuries, kind of lost it a little bit. I want to see him carry that consistency here for the second half of the season. Lamar. Yeah, I mean, last week was the first sort of bad game that he had this season. Uh, he's been absolutely cooking this year. And right, but that, is that, hopefully that's not – is that starting a trend there? That's what he's done I, in past yeah, years. Yeah, I mean, last year he was playing really well until the injury. Like, his best game last year was the game before the injury. 
um, the year before that, he would have been, that was the thing. Like the year before last season, 2021, the kind of the thing that was flying under the radar with the whole Lamar Jackson narrative that year was, yeah, obviously he went down hurt and that was bad, but actually he'd been playing badly before he went down. Like he'd started that year on fire and then completely fell off a cliff. That was the weird year. Remember where his grades did this strange step down thing every couple yeah. of weeks? He started off like high 80s, then it went to low 80s, then 69, then 59, then 50, then 40, and then he got hurt, right? Um, the following year, though, I think he was playing pretty well and actually was probably playing his best before he went down. And then this year, he's been playing spectacularly all season right up until last week where he didn't play that well. I think generally, I'm not... I don't see a reason to expect that just because he's got hurt the last couple of years and one of those two years he was playing badly at that point anyway, now Lamar's going to start to fall off. I would expect him to continue playing well until given a reason otherwise. Um, but now you have you know Seattle's defense, which is playing pretty well. It's got some really imposing defensive backs. Devin Witherspoon playing out of his mind. Now you've had Lenny to the, to the mix. Big Lenny. Big Len. Um, Who's smaller than you, right? There's a picture of you and Lenny somewhere from when we were at Jets camp. Is there? Yeah, you well, make we... you make Big Lenny look small. Yeah, I know. There's a, there's me and Chase Young. I yeah. should have posted that picture on the day that he got traded. Day that he got, yeah. Me and little Chase. <laughs> little Chase. Yeah. The... Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, Leonard Williams becomes their best run stopper, and just he's been a good good pass rusher. He's that guy who's just a very consistent pass rusher on the interior, and sack totals tend to fluctuate. But um, I think Seattle's kind of stitching it together with a bunch of bunch of players up front. Devin Witherspoon versus Zay Flowers, nice little rookie-on-rookie rookie matchup whenever they're aligned. Um, we got one more stat before we make our picks. Geno Smith is the only quarterback in the league to have over to have a turnover-worthy play rate over 4% this year, but also have a passing grade above 75. So in other words, Geno Smith, for the second straight, and this is the second straight year he's done this, this, like, arbitrary cutoff thing. Because, like, when you when you go to PFF Premium Stats 2.0, part of your PFF Plus package, and you sort by worst turnover-worthy play rates, you and then you look over a couple columns and you look at the passing grades, most of them are bad. Mm. But in Geno's case, it's like a whole bunch of quarterbacks with bad grades, and then Geno's good. And it's the second straight year where – you're like, man, Gino, there's like two or three decisions per game that are just horrendous. And sometimes that like mars your perception of how he played. How have we not named this like the, this should be the sort of the Jameis Winston something. Because this is like Jameis, right? Is he was always amongst the highest in big time throw rate and turnover no, play rate is, at the same time. No, this is different. So for Jameis, he was always highest in overall positives and overall negatives and especially turnover-worthy plays. And it would still end up kind of grading well, and the EPA was fine and whatever. But Gino is, like, otherwise really good. He actually doesn't have a whole big percent. He doesn't miss a ton of throws. Jameis missed in a, a ridiculous number of throws. Yeah, no, no, the baseline is higher, which is why his grade is higher. But, like, Jameis Winston has a career turnover-worthy play rate of 4.7% and a career big-time throw rate of 4.3%. Like his career numbers are higher than Gino's in Through both sections. Through that lens, sec- you could say that. I'm just saying, like Gino, also like he's he completes 68 percent of his passes. Like he doesn't miss the short stuff, yeah. and he and he's high volume, you know, accurate and everything. Whereas Jameis is all over the place. But that's what I'm talking about. Like that that specific dynamic of being above like four percent in both big time throw rate and turnover worthy play rate. 
It should have a name, and the name should involve Jameis. The Jameis, yeah, yeah, the Jameis. I mean, I honestly think that all of the league-wide trends of, uh, oh, the NFL's throwing shorter now, and there's more yards after the catch, and interception rate is down. It's like literally just because Jameis isn't a starter. <laughs> the NFL trends are Jameis is out of sample. <laughs> that is what's happened. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Right? Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely impacts it, right? It's my, moving the needle, Jameis Winston not starting It is games. moving the needle. It absolutely is. So my point in all of this stuff is uh, Geno Smith's playing really well overall with a couple head scratchers per game. Wait, what, and did in you, this, what was your original point on this? You started off saying he was the only guy to, to whatnot? So you sort the – so turn of worthy play percentage over four. Yeah. And a passing grade over 75. Ah, I see. Right. So your so, arbitrary cutoff point just eliminates Brock Purdy. Well, his passing grade is 68, Purdy. Yeah, that's, that's, well, so my, what I was looking at was how many guys have got a both the Jameis. You could say over 70. Whatever. The, the, yeah. the Jame, whatever we're calling this thing, right? Like the Jameis axis, the turnover-worthy play rate, and big-time throw rate both being over 4%, which is Geno. You have Brock Purdy, Geno Smith. Yeah, Brock Purdy, big-time throw rate of 5.8%, which is high, and turnover-worthy play rate now up at 5.1 after his last couple of games. Purdy's Jamison a little bit in that system. Right. Huh? Purdy, in the last three weeks, Brock Purdy has gone from, like, high-end Jimmy G to Jameis. Imagine Jameis in that Shanahan system. What, nobody's ever asking that question. Why not? Nobody's asking. that Now question. we need to ask the question, what would Jameis Winston look like within the Shanahan offense? Sam Howell is fringe Jamison. <laughs> Gino is Jamison. French Jamison. Purdy is Jamison. And that's it. And that's it. Yeah. Um, but I'm saying Gino is the one who is so good outside of the turn of worthy plays that he's still grading well. That's the point. Yeah. All right. Six point game for Baltimore. That's a lot. It is. I'm going to lean with Baltimore will, will win the game, but Gino will Gino it to within six points. All right. I'll take the Ravens just to mix it up from you. Um, have you factored in the travel? No. Well, I mean, I factored in insofar as I'm aware it exists, but I don't care. Are you ready for this? Cue dramatic music. I'm just, this is the way to do it. Is it, I can't even hear. I won't even be able to hear. It's not a bird. It's not a plane. It's the most revolutionary ball trimmer the world has ever seen. Gentlemen, our friends over at Manscaped have been working night and day to bring you a below the waist grooming experience like none other with their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. Ultra. We're talking about a next-generation trimmer with interchangeable blade heads for whatever shave your mind can imagine. AI is cool, but I think this might be the biggest technological advantage, advancement the world has ever seen. Upgrade your grooming game to the Ultrasphere this year by going to manscapes.com for 20% off, plus free shipping with code PFF. High tech for low places. That's Manscaped. Every man knows how scary it can get when going for a close shave below the belt. That's why we trust Manscaped here on the PFF NFL podcast for all our sensitive areas. Inside this package, you'll find the star of the show, the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. Look at that, a little discount there on the website, but we'll give you an even better discount. Their fifth-generation trimmer features two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. That's why it's the Ultra. We also use dual LED spotlights to provide contrast on multiple skin tones. Three length setting combos, and oh, did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? You knew that. No more wet shaving down there, count me in. Taking it on the go, Manscaped has you covered. This puppy comes with a travel case and even a travel lock feature to avoid any accidental powering and or weird looks in the airport. 
We don't want to be awkward or anything, right? At the airport, only here on the podcast. Mm. That's right. This right here is on the cutting edge of cutting pubes. Upgrade your ball trimmer and your life will follow. That's what they tell me. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscapes.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscapes.com. I can promise you've never seen a ball trimmer look like a spaceship. Get yours today from our folks at Manscaped. That's good. You did that yesterday, huh? Mm-hmm. How'd you do? Pretty well. Pretty well. Good. Proud of you. Thank you. All right, let's roll through the rest of the games because God knows we need to. Over an hour into it. Yeah. After what, four games in? That's Arizona, great. Arizona well, there was some, there's four big games and a bunch of others. Arizona Cardinals at the Cleveland Browns, for instance. Yeah. Going through the 1 o'clock games here. Browns favored by 8. Looks like it's going to be the Clayton Toon show going up against this Browns defense. The Clayton Toon show. Yeah, 8 points is a line that suggests this is Toon rather than Kyla Murray at quarterback. Yeah. Could be both. But yeah, it's Clayton Toon and uh, P.J. Walker head-to-head. Clayton versus P.J. P.J. Walker is the lowest-graded quarterback in the NFL right now at 31 overall. Well, that's up from last week. It was 28 then. Yeah. Uh, next closest is Desmond Ritter at 48.6. It's a big difference. Who's now been benched. Who's now been benched. Officially. Yeah. After not being benched for... <laughs> Arthur Smith just straight-up lies to the media, and nobody seems to care. We'll talk about it in the Falcons game. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Clayton, I mean... Like, who cares? Like, you're allowed to lie. Like, that's not a... I mean, you are, but there's no point. Like, why? You're why allowed to lie to the media. Right, but why Why bother? We'll get to it. Uh, I, yeah, this is like a drive-by sighting of Clayton Toon, right? Like, we got rid of Josh Dobbs. We were benching him anyway for reasons. Um, Kyler Murray's going to be starting. We need to look at Kyler Murray because we're a new regime and we have no ties to him and we might be headed for the number one overall pick. So we got to take a look at him. On the way to get there, we're going to take a quick drive-by glance at Clayton Toon just in case he can do something. Uh, and that's what this is. So a drive-by sighting of Clayton Toon going up against arguably the league's best defense. Harsh for Clayton Toon. <laughs> you have a very tiny window to show us that you can be a good NFL player. Good luck. Yeah. I don't anticipate it going tremendously well, even though I quite like Clayton Toon as a prospect. We're not right about a lot of things, but one of the things we may have gotten right before the season was the AFC North would be loaded and competitive. And mm-hmm. right now it's the Ravens sitting atop the division at 6-2. and two. Steelers, Browns, and Bengals are all 4-3. and three. So the Browns, despite not having Deshaun Watson starting, is he out for sure, by yeah. the way? Okay. I mean, he will be. Um, just despite not having Deshaun Watson, still sitting here at four and three, and you just—it's one of those take care of business games, right? You got to take care of business against Arizona. Yeah, I mean, dude, if you can't beat Clayton Tune on a short, like you know, that's <laughs> even with PJ as your quarterback, that's problematic. Yeah, I mean, just the raw stats. I mean, the, this is this is how good Cleveland's defense has pretty much been playing, right? They're they're competitive in every game. PJ Walker has one touchdown, five picks. Yikes. Three big-time throws, nine turnover-worthy plays, passer rating of 51.8, and he's completing under 50% of his passes. So just from like a – like raw stats matter because they're result-based, and it's like here are the results that the Cleveland Browns have gotten, and they're still at least competitive in every game and winning uh, more often than not with P.J. under center. So um, I think that needs to get a little bit better for the Browns. Uh, they're still running the ball pretty well despite not having Nick, uh, Nick Chubb, and so got to lean on that. A little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is actually, it's it's harsh for poor old Clayton Toon. Like, he's going up against legitimately the league's best defense. They have the second best pass rush uh, in pressure rate terms. 
going, you know, with with the defensive line that they've got um, after Dallas. Their back end is much better now that they have that. They're mixing it up with Jim Schwartz, a coordinator. It's it's a legit nasty defense, and now you've got a rookie low round quarterback starting without that much going in his favor in terms of what's around him, personnel help, all those kinds of things. It's hard to see how Arizona is going to put up points, you know, many of them at all. On the other side, it's like, yeah, PJ has been problematic. He's been making a lot of mistakes. But on the other hand, the pieces are still there. Like the Browns have a pretty decent receiving core. Um, they've got a good offensive line. They've got a solid enough run game, even if everybody's banged up and they, they keep going further and further into the depth chart at running back. They should be able to put up points. So it feels like a relatively comfortable win for Cleveland. I lied a little bit. Yeah, Cleveland's run game's kind of mid-tier, Just but more it's mid. misinformation. Yeah, I had to double-check. All right, eight points. Cleveland. Eight? Yeah. Oh, you've changed. Arizona, if they score double digits in this game, I think it is will it, be an achievement. Is it crazy if like Josh if, jo- if Josh Dobbs was quarterback, you'd be like, nah, Arizona. I mean, I'm, we'll keep it close. They might cover it, but they wouldn't, you know. Weather's going to be a factor probably for Clayton, too, because it's in Cleveland. There's always weather. It's also when you have not a great offense, losing. I think the, the, worse, the worse your offense is, the more important it is that your quarterback is athletic and able to create plays from nothing in terms of scrambling. Like the number of plays that Josh Dobbs is responsible for making this year in, in scrambling terms is a lot for Arizona. I think he's the third quarterback, right, in like rushing yards and stuff. Clayton Toon is not that guy. So you've just taken that away from the offense in terms of what it can do. And you probably got worse from a passing point of view because he's, you know, a, a low-round rookie. I just, I, I, again, struggle to see how they're going to get anything going. All right, why does Arizona not have Josh Dobbs? Well, they traded him to the Minnesota Vikings, who are traveling to Atlanta. little 1998 NFC Championship rematch in Atlanta. Vikings at the Falcons. Falcons favored by four and a half. Why would you bring that game up? Uh, I don't know, 90 stuff just comes to mind. I'm sorry. Wow. I know that was a painful one for you. That's triggering for every Vikings fan that's listening to this show that's old enough to remember. Yeah. As is Creed music now. <laughs> Not because it's Creed, but because that was Kirk's favorite genre. Band. Creed should probably be... They'll, they'll probably be doing the Super Bowl halftime show by next year. Don't you think? Kirk being a Creed fan is one of the most predictable pieces of information to emerge don't over the last couple of years don't hate on creed i'm not hating on creed i'm just saying there's Kirk. a whole bunch of closet creed fans yeah. who have been you know shamed into they were, admitting so they were the nickelback the 20 years they were the nickelback before nickelback they're not as bad as nickelback i think through that lens but there's you know they're nickelback same idea though you white know? yeah well just you know an early but, nickelback but there's 20 years of potential embarrassment if you had admitted fondness for creed's catalog and now kirk you think kirk's made that okay for everybody yeah suddenly the creed fans are coming out of the closet hear about what quasi was doing no quasi on monday when they were scouting quarterbacks around the league rocking out to creed what? in honor of kirk he was in his office they're all watching QBs. he's grinding he's josh dobbs tape to creed <laughs> blasting my own prison yeah and he's over there like with arms wide open we will bring josh dobbs right in to the mix here in Minnesota because we're four and four. We're gonna make a little playoff run. Okay. Um, all right. Let's start with this. Don't cut off our greatness. Like we're gonna win awards. Send that to the podcast award people. That was great. That was beautiful. It's too late. The deadline was the 29th. That probably won't win anyway. No. 
Um, so what are you looking for in this football game? <laughs> so start with, do you think there's, they've said that, um, why do I keep trying to call him Jaron Reed? Jaron Hall. Jaron Hall. Do you think that he's actually going to start? Because they say he is, and yet Josh Dobbs has already shown he can learn a playbook in seven minutes because he's a rocket scientist. I, um, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I, this always fascinates me, right? Football is so incredibly complicated. There's just there's so many moving parts. I always remember Peyton, Manning, Peyton Manning's anticipation throwing a deep comeback to the exact right spot where Reggie Wayne or Marvin Harrison was going to be. I'm just like, dude, they must have practiced that thousands of times. That's insane that they can do that. And it's so complicated being the quarterback, knowing protections, knowing where everybody is, everybody's role, the depth of every, uh, every receiver and all that. And then Baker Mayfield gets signed on a Tuesday and starts on a Thursday and, and looks great. And I was worried that he wouldn't even know the right way to hand the ball off. Right. Is this zone right or zone left? You know, so sometimes it seems super complicated and impressive. And then other times it's like, well, Baker did it in two days, literally, and actually played well. Let a double-digit point comeback. He did against Josh McDaniels Raiders. He didn't look that good, by the way. Like, we, we sort of remember that in a different way because— No, he didn't. You're right, you're right. Because he executed the comeback and because it's like, hey, he shouldn't have even been able to function, but— He looked good. He had, like, two awesome games, though, yeah. I think, after that. That's what it was. Sorry. Yeah, and, and the drives. Like, the game-winning drive was impressive, but it's like— the act, you know, his, I, I forget what his grade was for that game, but it wasn't good. Like, he looked okay, and it was impressive to relative to week. Trying to tell a story. Well, yeah. I'm just, because you've been Mr. Misinformation this show, I feel like now everything times. you say has come under question. It's about four times. I'm just making it up as I go. Right. Uh, all I'm saying is Josh Jobs could go. Either way, I mean, if it's Jaron Hall, I think that's going to be a challenge. Late-round rookie, much like Clayton Toon. Um, the very limited sample we saw last week, Hall held the ball kind of too long and yeah. in fumbles, puts the ball on the turf. I feel like even Josh Dobbs coming into the into the building with less than a week to work is probably an upgrade over Jaron Hall, but we'll see. Yeah. What else are you looking for in this game? Uh, the, other, the other thing that I, I think is to highlight, um, Atlanta's run defense has been fantastic. They're second best in the NFL, EPA per play allowed. Minnesota run game has not been great. They're a little better last week, right? Um, but if it becomes a one-dimensional game for either Jaron Hall or Josh Dobbs, feels like a challenge. Mm. I mean, I'm curious if Taylor Heineke can be a can be a better version of Desmond Ritter. Like, can he avoid the mistakes, the bad plays that have been putting a cap on? The, the weird thing is, like, people were literally saying right up until the week he got benched that. We are like right on the verge of a Desmond Ritter breakout because he'd actually been playing quite well, other than the fumbles and the ridiculous turnovers, et cetera. Right? That's like if he can just stop doing that, like his his play, his baseline has, ta- has taken a huge step forward. It's been reset dramatically upwards so far this season. It's just the mistakes are killing them, and they're like if he can just and we know those are kind of. Uh, volatile, they can swing up and down. Like, if he can eliminate those or at least cut them in half or whatever, this team changes. And then right at that point, they're like, all right, that's enough of that. Bench him. Um, and in comes Heineke, a guy who, frankly, his career MO is the same, right? It's like, you would be okay if you just stopped making so many boneheaded mistakes. Uh, like, can he do that this time? We've seen, We've seen incredible high-end play from Taylor Heineke in extremely small sample sizes. And then the second you ask him to play more than that, you, you stop getting the good plays and you tend to get a lot more of the bad plays. And it's like, at which point, what are we doing? This is, 
This is just a, dis a different Desmond Ritter. Do you want to go into Arthur Smith's lying now? Okay. The man lies to the media all the time, and I don't see a point in it. Last week he claimed that the people that were criticizing Desmond Ritter don't, don't watch the film. Yeah, and then he benched him. And they claimed he didn't bench him, and then benched him. It's not a benching. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of reasons, he said. Yeah. There's a lot of factors at play. Right, for the benching. But he came out like variables. I think he came out and was like, "Nah, he wasn't benched." And then the like, officially benched him. It's like, why? I don't if understand. He's not playing, why. where is he sitting? Right. <laughs> I just Arthur. If he's not playing, <laughs> where does he sit while the team is on offense? What if they have to put him in a chair just so he's not officially benched? He's on the chair. He's on yeah. the bench. I've I brought him in like a high chair, so he does, so he's not technically benched. Or Desmond, stand. Don't sit down because yeah. then you're officially benched. benched. Just stand it. I just don't understand the point in, a, in saying something that's immediately going to be proved to be a lie, like 48 hours later. I, I don't understand the benefit. Yeah. What's the edge there? Why not just there admit is no edge, right? and say, yes, he got benched? Uh, morale. Whose morale? Desmond's. Desmond's morale. Yeah. Will, he, will, will his morale not be crushed 48 hours later when you officially they, bench they, they, him? They, maybe, they're, maybe they're consistent with it. You're calling it lying. Maybe they're consistent. They're in the QB room like, look, Desmond, you're not benched. It's just Taylor's going to play. Like you said, the Raiders didn't fire Josh McDaniels. They just promoted from within. <laughs> or maybe... That's what the Falcons are doing. No, or, or maybe to be really consistent with it, he's actually telling the truth at every step of the way. It's just the truth changes every 12 hours, yeah, right? we have more information. He, no, he's not been benched. We took him out of the game, uh, you know, for, for whatever reason. He's not been benched yet. And then 24 hours later, we look at the tape and go, oh, we have to bench him. And then he's benched. But at the time, when I told you guys he wasn't benched, he wasn't benched. And then 24 hours later, we looked at the tape and determined we had to bench him, and then he became benched. It all makes sense. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so. This is what happens when you have a game that's Jaron Hall versus Taylor Heineke. And or Josh Dobbs versus Taylor Heineke. Uh, social team. These are not all one-offs. I don't think we need to do separate game previews for all these games. Oh, they're happening. We're not bringing enough. I don't think we're bringing enough value here. I'll bring you a stat, though. Byron Murphy's allowed the most completions on 20-plus yard attempts this year. Vikings cornerback. He's been bad. It's Taylor Heineke time. Heineke time means the Drake Londons and Kyle Pitts of the world. They're going to have some opportunities. But does it, though? I, like, think, it, I think it does. This is the thing. I know but, you said maybe it doesn't, but I think it does. That's the sort of the narrative on Taylor Heineke is he is in that Jameis Fitzpatrick world of YOLO you know, close your eyes and heave it and see what happens. But when he's played a lot, that actually hasn't been Taylor Heineke. He's actually not made a bunch of those big plays. He's just put the ball in harm's way a bunch. I'll take Atlanta to cover the four and a half. I think that's uh, if Dobbs plays, I might lean more Minnesota, but who knows? I'm usually wrong anyway. Yeah. I will also take Atlanta. All right. Tampa Bay Bucks at the Houston Texans. Another one o'clock game here. Texans favored by two and a half against... The Bucks, Bucks coming off that Thursday night loss to the Bills, and uh, Houston lost last week to the Carolina Panthers. What are you looking for in this one? Um, I mean, the, the blitz. I mean, the Tampa Bay blitz against uh, Bobby and uh, CJ. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. That's always a, a good starting point. Yeah. Anytime you know you have one of those offensive schemes run up against a defense that does things slightly unusually, it's worth watching. Right. And. I mean, just generally every week for Houston is going to be intriguing to see how C.J. Stroud plays. Last week was, what, maybe his worst game of the season? 
Um, and I still think he did some okay things. Like it wasn't like a total implosion and you know a horrific performance. He just didn't play as well as he played the previous games, and it, it didn't help that it was going up against Bryce Young. So the, the contrast was always going to be uh, talked about or made. But he's looked really impressive. Um, and where he struggled this season, it's been under pressure, but not necessarily against the blitz. So. For Tampa Bay, it's not necessarily about blitz the living crap out of him. That will work. It's like you actually need to get him under pressure to create any kind of positive play for the defense. Yeah, Tampa Bay's defense, I mean, look, it's Todd Bowles does not change what he does, right? Loves to attack, loves to blitz. Um, <clears throat> because of that, they generally do a pretty good job of preventing downfield passes. But the underneath stuff is, is often there. So Tampa Bay is number one in the NFL uh, against the run. EPA per play allowed. Again, kind of classic bucks where the the team grade isn't great, but the you know some of the parts is good because they love to play eight man boxes, and you've got Vita Vea in there, and there's probably some you know extra effect of having the big dude up there and all that. Um, but throwing the ball down the field is also you know kind of hit or miss when it comes to the bucks. So it's I think Stroud's going to hit some of those big plays. You know, get get his boy Nico Collins going. Um, handle all of the blitz stuff. Um, sometimes there'll be there'll be holes behind it, and just you know, if he recognizes it, there'll be some some plays to be made for mm-hmm. Houston. Other side, we've got we have just a lot of inconsistency from the Bucks offense for the second straight year. They showed signs of life early in the year and doing some good things, running more play action, getting Baker Mayfield out of the pocket. But I think over these last few weeks, it's felt a little, you know, if if Mike Evans isn't making a big play. There's been a couple big plays from Mike Evans, a couple big plays from Chris Godwin. Other than that, it's just really inconsistent. Baker's going to, you know, break free and, you know, scramble here and there, make a few throws, but he's just missing too many passes down the field, and that's why you've got one of the worst offenses in the league right now. Yeah, Houston's defense is interesting to watch as well. I think you're starting to see the emergence now of, like, a young core you know, a nucleus that can go forward and be that defense uh, and, and the sort of collection of random misfits and low-level impact signings that they've been making have actually started to show up. So, you know, you look at their top-graded players this year and you've got Blake Cashman um, yes. playing, right, playing out of his mind. Will Anderson, obviously, the, the high draft pick that they went and targeted and coveted and traded for this offseason. Jonathan Grenard, a guy that we expected to break out last year, didn't really happen. Still, it's not exactly dominating but he's playing well again um steven nelson one of those sort of classic low risk you know almost throwaway signings that is being a really important player for them tavir thomas uh jalen petrie was really impressive the last week like you're starting to see this group now emerge and and become like what can be this team going forward that i think is is worth just keeping an eye on like you can see the players now that are going to be part of this thing long term um, yeah, I, I love the way the Houston defense is playing. Absolutely. One last thing I think I want uh, to highlight here. So C.J. Stroud's in there with a 72 PFF grade. That's, uh, let me get the sort right, 18th, 19th, in the, yeah, 17th in the NFL. He's playing well. Started out great early on. This is that time, at, you, know, you mentioned before, the, the rookie quarterback who starts best doesn't always finish best mm-hmm. because this is the time. When, okay, now there's film, right? We know right. what C.J. Stroud likes to do. We know where maybe some of his tendencies are in the NFL, not just the college stuff, but like we're seeing him in his current scheme with his personnel. So this is when 
you have to start making some adjustments. Defense is going to adjust. Now you have to adjust back as the QB. Yeah, and not just C.J. Stroud, but theoretically this is a totally new offense as well, right? Bobby Slowick. Literally, this offense has not existed before this season. Right. Because, sure, it's the Shanahan tree, but every one of these guys has their own wrinkles, their own version, their own you know differences in what they're bringing to the table. Like, Bobby didn't just rock up there with Kyle Shanahan's playbook and said, this is what we're running this year verbatim. You know, step A to step Z, Bobby had whatever changes he's made. Like, this is my version of this offense. So... The rest of the league literally did not have tape on this offense until this season. So the first six, seven weeks has been about, right, analyzing Bobby's version of this offense. And now we get to see what they do to try and stop that. So you're right. It's, it's an, it, this is the adjustment period of the season for the rest of the NFL. How are they now going to attack C.J. Stroud and, by extension, Bobby Slowick's offense? Both teams are three and four. You see, by the way, since we're, you know, it's already a long show. What the hell? <laughs> Get into the, it. Yeah. Bobby, Mr. I'm not going to do your guy's show until I'm a head coach, right? He's out here talking to Schefter on Schefter's podcast. He's on the pod. He was on the podcast? He was on Schefter's podcast. What the hell's with that? Text him right now. I'm going to text him right now. Text him. You should, should phone him up. Put him right on the you should, Yeah. <laughs> you said live. you weren't going to be on the show, but <laughs> now you are. Now you're live on the show and there's nothing you can do about I, it. I so, know Bob, Bobby. Except hang up the phone and uh, block you. Bobby would never screw us over. You say that. Houston PR. And yet all the evidence appears him. to be Bobby screwing us over. Bob, like, like Schefter doesn't even know you. I know. I'm kind of wondering. You think it's because, you know, there's no there's – no conflicting emotions with Schefter. It's just he's he's insider man. He's going to be asking me standard questions that I, I can tell him yeah. yes or no. And I can I can evade answers when I need to evade answers. With you and me, it's like, I know these guys. I don't want to lie to them. I don't want to do an Arthur Smith and tell him one thing and then the next thing happens, you know? Maybe he's conflicted by that. He doesn't want to lead us, lead us astray to answers we, we might ask. Questions we might ask, rather. Yeah. Well, we'll see what he comes back with here. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, it's, that's, that's annoying. I was going to try to highlight. So they're both three and four, but the Texans are a couple games out of first place. The Bucks are a half game out of first. The Falcons are four and four. Saints are four and four. Bucks are sitting there a half game back at three and four. I was going to say, um, if the, you know, the offense bottom five in points scored this year per game, if Baker Mayfield doesn't, like, I don't think he's the problem there necessarily, but I do wonder if they ever try to go the Kyle Trask route, you know, if they no. want to. See what he has at some point this no. season. See what happens. Not a chance. All right. Texans by two and a half. Where are you going? Uh, yeah. Houston. Buying it. Although, you know, now that I understand that PFF Bobby's screwing us, maybe I, maybe I want to go somewhere else. Yeah, I'm going to take the Bucks. <laughs> I'm taking the Bucks now that I know that he went on Shafter's <laughs> podcast. That's my answer. Yeah. Washington Commanders at the New England Patriots. What a game. Patriots favored by three and a half here mm. against the Commanders who uh, just uh, reshuffled the deck here, traded Montez Sweat and Chase Young. And, uh, man, I can't believe we mentioned Mike Florio's name multiple times on this show. Mike Florio. So he's kind of like an insider. No, Mike, he's not. But he's not. He just kind of, like, makes stuff up sometimes, too. So a thing he made up this week <laughs> was, what if the New England Patriots traded Bill Belichick to Washington? Yeah, where did that come from? From Florio. But it was literally just like, here's an idea I had? Yeah. I mean, Schefter does, like, you ever hear Schefter on McAfee? Yeah. Yeah, so McAfee's like, 
in addition to being uh, main event WrestleMania wrestler, yeah. all pro punter. Right. Punter of the decade. Punter of the decade. Also a great interviewer, right? He knows the great he knows the questions to ask. So when he asks Schefter a question, looking for some inside info, when Adam doesn't have the information, he just sounds like us. <laughs> it's like, well, Bill Cra- Bob Kraft might be thinking this, and they might be thinking about this. And here's another option. It's like, that's not inside info. That's just us. That's mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of what, what Florio is doing with this, I think. But usually there's like, I've heard this thing. Now let's speculate about it. This was literally just like, here's a crazy idea I had. Let's talk about it. Oh, yeah. I think that's what it is. Okay. Yeah. Because even uh, not Florio, I'm not going to. There's, there's people way worse than Florio. But that's what people have made entire careers off of this by saying, I spoke to, a, spoke to some players who believe this thing, yeah. which happens to be the thing that I believe. And all I had to say was some other players also believe this thing, and now I turned it into a story. But there's at least like... People do that. That's their entire career. Spoke to some players, unnamed sources. I'm going to write a whole story about it and claim that four or five players agree with me. But there's theoretically a seed to that, which is a player whose opinion we're supposed to care about because they're relevant individuals shares this opinion. Therefore, it's validation. It's legitimizing the thing that I want to talk about in the first place. And sure, I've like found the no. source that I'll I call, can... I'll call people out on that one too. Yeah, Mike yeah, but, Freeman. But my point being, theoretically, there, there is a legitimate basis for writing that thing. Whereas this is literally just, I had a crackpot idea that I've decided we should talk about. There's no legitimate basis for that. I'm, we probably shouldn't even talk about this. We definitely shouldn't But be the game about isn't this. all that interesting. <laughs> well, so, okay. Sam Howell, sack magnet. Even, without, even with the one sack game last week, the man is still being sacked at average of more than five times a game. Now goes up against New England, Bill Belichick, confusing defense, and a, a team that relies in not, are not necessarily having like elite pass rushers, but on causing you enough problems with your protections and all those kinds of things to sack you anyway. So... The most that he's been sacked in a game this season was nine times against Buffalo. After that, there's two games with six. Over-under sacks for Sam Howell, six. Under. Under? Yeah, he's turned it around. What? Because of the one game. Yeah, 2.4 time to throw. They figured out how to get the ball out of his hands. I'm going to say Bill Belichick finds a way of sacking Sam Howell at least six times. All right, fair. Uh, New England does, you know, they look good at home a couple weeks ago against Buffalo. Home road, a lot of home road stuff here. Struggled in Miami because they always do. They'll they'll be fine. They'll be fine. They'll be better. Okay. New England should play a little bit more competitive, I think, in the second half of the season than they did earlier in the year. That's my that's my thought. Okay. But yeah, Sam Howell still intriguing because when he chucks it, it's good. I love watching Sam Howell. It's not always good. It's often chaotic. It's strange, and I just think it's great to watch. Josh Allen light. Josh Allen light light. light. Light version of uh, Allen, fun factor. All right, I'll take the Patriots to cover the three and a half here. And I don't think they'll trade Bill Belichick to Washington. Okay. For the record. Cool. Do we, I mean, we got to go quick through the rest of these. Well, Chicago Bears at the New Orleans Saints. Saints favored by eight and a half against the uh, Bajans. The Bajans. Bajans is back. The fighting Bajans. Agent of change in Chicago. Wow. <laughs> that was a, no, that was a headline. I, was like, that was a headline in Chicago Papers. Yeah. I didn't think it was a Steve Palazzolo original. It, it didn't have your, uh, it didn't have the flavor of, of your brain to it. Not like the Winston Churchill quote last <laughs> year. That was great. It's a great clip. Uh, I should push that out again. 
Saints by eight and a half. Well, can the Saints build on last week, man? I told you, after eight straight weeks of me predicting the Saints offense breakout, I'm, I'm out, and all of a sudden, you know, cars thrown for an easy 300, Rashid Shahid, uh, Chris Olave in a um, self-proclaimed slump, which you can kind of see on the field. You know, things are off with Olave, but I still have a lot of faith in him. He's still um, a good player. I mean, He's a very good player. It's not like yeah. he's been playing terribly. What are we? That's why the Saints should be dangerous. I do think at the end of the day, our preseason pick, at least mine, the Saints to win the NFC South. <laughs> I think the Falcons will will hang tough. I think at some point the Bucks probably drop off, but the Saints should, at the end of the day, be a game or two better than everybody else in the South if they play to their capabilities. And I thought last week was a big step in that right direction. But we like is is the narrative on Chris Olave struggling literally because of that one pass that hit him in the head? I think he was saying. I think I saw a quote from okay. him. Yeah. But he's been playing fine. I mean, okay, the one pass that hit him in the head that was a bad drop. Yeah, but there's there's been other. You know, not on the same page type of plays and yeah. different things with Derek Carr. I'm not saying he's been great, but the dude, like, he's he's fine. Like, we're not – there's no problem with Chris Olave other than he's not playing, like, the best receiver, you know, in his draft class or whatever. One thing I can't figure out um, how to properly weigh, last year Derek Carr was in a new offense. And remember early in the season him and Devontae Adams always, like, a tick off? They mm-hmm. just never felt like they were on the same page. And theoretically it's like new offense, new system, terminology, they'll figure it out, they'll get it. And instead of that happening, Carr got benched. Um, you could use that same analysis now, right? New offense, new system, getting used to the new receivers. At some point, is the Saints offense just going to start clicking? So is the, was last week that turning point? That's what I'm keeping an eye on here. Against this Bears defense with limited pass rush and limited coverage ability, I think yeah. the Saints should be able to uh, have some success. Yeah, they should be much better. It's a good defense. They're going to challenge receivers. I, you know, I feel like this might be a rough game for Tyson Bajan, um, just because his guys are not necessarily going to be open. He's, they're going to try and take away his first read. They're going to make him work through a progression, do all the things that young quarterbacks, Division Two or not, generally struggle with. Uh, so that might be rough. Seeing the impact of Montez Sweat on the worst pass rush, the worst defensive line in the NFL, that'll be fun to monitor, particularly because uh, the Saints' offensive line generally isn't great. So Montez Sweat could have some success in this game. Yeah, there's a few things to watch, but generally speaking, the Saints should be significantly better than Tyson Bajan. Yeah. Pass the ball, stop the pass. Saints are number five PFF coverage grade. So I think they'll cover the eight and a half in the dome here. God, it's a lot of points, though. It is. A lot of points. Um, okay. I will also go with the Saints, even though I don't like that number of points. Can you get the right line for the Rams-Packers because you put in Jets plus three and a half? <sighs> Feels like a user error on your part. Why do people think we don't like each other? I don't know. It's hard to tell. We just correct each other. <laughs> Might be things like that, though. Most, uh, most people subtly correct each other, but we just blatantly just call each other out. Yeah. Los Angeles Rams at the Green Bay Packers in Lambeau. There's uh, some kind of line on the game, which I'm not sure of yet. We don't know if Matthew Stafford's going to play, but it is Green Bay favored by three and a half. Good work. Thank you. It is. Yeah. Green Bay favored by three and a half. I think in part because it could be the Brett Rippon show here against the Packers. The Brett Rippon show. Rams tried to get John Wolford from Tampa Bay, but Tampa Bay elevated Wolford to their starting roster. Wolford chose to stick with Tampa Bay, who may or may not have elevated him to keep him around. I mean, did. I mean, they did it to keep him around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's not a great sign, you know, when you're desperately scrabbling around trying to get John Wolford back in the building. Uh, yeah, it feels feels not great from a, uh, from a Rams perspective. I Brett think they're Lupin. still going to try to give it a go with Stafford. Thumb injury. Can't really grip the ball. 
<laughs> they did throw him a Philly special with the busted thumb last week, as we highlighted on the Monday show, just throwing that out there. Mm. Um, but I think it's going to be Brett Rippon. Yeah. That doesn't sound great. No. Can Green Bay get anything going with their mistake-ridden team? Um, they have to figure something out. I mean— Both sides of the ball as well. Like— Somebody it, asked about the weird second-half splits. It's wild. For Jordan Love, and if we had an explanation— He's got like it, a PFF. His grade is like 30 points better in the second half than the first half. And usually, like, Justin Fields was the opposite, right? Like, in the first quarter, on script, Justin Fields' career grade is actually really good. And then as soon as you get off script, it the wheels fall off. There's a lot of that. I mean, so the— um, Remember early uh, Matt LaFleur Packers? They were they were the opposite, weren't they? Where they would have that one good drive. I think a lot of yeah, a lot of script. a lot of teams will do that, but it's like, oh, is this a trend? Is this a trend? And much and like a lot of trends, it's just give it more data. Right, but I think not. a lot. Of, but if you, it makes sense that people will be better on script than off script, right? Like when you've specifically planned out fifteen plays yeah. or whatever, you practice them. You know the order. Yeah. You know for the most part what you're doing. That makes you're sense. not adjusting to anything in game. You're actually just trying to see what the defenses bring in, and yeah, man, I don't know. It's um, the 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 early Matt Lafleur offenses with the Packers because remember in 2019 we called them like a soft 13 and three. They kept winning games, but the offense just was really inconsistent. They had these duds where they just wouldn't show up, and they would just you know score on their first drive and then disappear for the rest of the game. It was really the opposite. So now you're seeing a slow start for the Packers, and then second half they're starting to play a little bit better and it's not just because they're playing catch up or whatever it's just I, I don't know there's no great explanation for it but they got to find a way to to start quicker the thing I highlighted the other day was their their biggest play last week was on a busted RPO so there's they're, they're not scheming it up they're not um, getting their playmakers involved because they have good playmakers and then you, you know drops show up at the wrong time it is you know a different guy screwing up every yeah time. it really is like that's the story of their team at the moment and it's everywhere it's not just offense though that's the most obvious place it's defense as well i mean jair alexander got lit up by jordan addison last week and you know he's coming off an injury but you look at his tape and it's like it still kind of looks like you know jair alexander still looks like jair alexander he's just losing um and there were a couple plays where he slipped on the turf which didn't help but like they're not good enough to overcome the volume of mistakes that they're collectively making. Like you think of the the Josh Metellus interception last week, right? Like he made that incredible play where he just ripped the ball off uh, Jaden Reed, um, turned it over. Like it's the same kind of idea. You look at that play from sort of start to finish. Obviously Metellus makes an incredible play, but it's not a good pass by Jordan Love. Like it's sort of off target, low and or short and slightly inside, it, it, it lets that kind of thing happen, right? If he'd put it where it should have been, it wouldn't have even been an issue. And then you've got Reed who gets his hands on it, and you're like, at that point, okay, minimum expectation is this is an incomplete pass, and the, the sort of baseline should be you probably want to catch it at the point where you've got it in your hands. And instead, it ends up being a complete interception, a turnover from two slight mistakes happening at the same time. And that's like... Their offense, in a nutshell, is everybody's just making slight mistakes across the board all the time. Um, I saw some of like Dan O and some of the other QB gurus around the internet complaining a little bit about the Packers' offense and its simplicity. When that happens, I always wonder how much of that is the play caller and how much of that is the play caller saying, "Well, this is 
trying to do what's best for our quarterback here. Yeah. As in, he can't handle it. I'm not. But doesn't that critiquing feel critiquing either way? But if it's oversimplified, is that because of is that a Jordan Love limitation or is that a play calling limitation? Yeah. Doesn't that feels a lot like that idea, like the old. The, the kind of dinosaur way of thinking about it, like protect our quarterback by running on every first down. It's like, but all you're doing there is yeah. making it third and eight every time, which is right. actually making his life harder. You're, in fact, in the attempt to protect him, you are doing the exact opposite by making his life harder every time. I kind of feel like the simplify the system does the same thing. Like you feel like you're protecting your quarterback by streamlining what you're asking of him, but all you're doing is making his life harder because the defense is able to read that better than he can. So you're taking away any element of surprise that you had and making his life more difficult on every play. All right, from a Rams perspective, if it's ripping, they actually are number two in the NFL in EPA per play on the ground this year. The Rams, creative run game, getting guys like Kyron Williams and Royce Freeman playing productive. So um, I think we might see that low-scoring, run-heavy type of approach maybe from both teams here. So I'll take the Rams – actually, to cover the three and a half. No, I'm taking Green Bay to cover a Brett Rippon game. Oh, you're probably right. Oh, I, don't, I don't love it. Well, give me the Rams anyway. Run game, creative run game. Going to keep them close. Uh, into the four o'clocks, Indianapolis Colts at the Carolina Panthers. Two and a half. <laughs> Colts are favorite. <laughs> Panthers coming off their first win. And uh, Bryce Young having... His best game? Turned it around, baby. Is this it? Baby step became a medium-sized step last week. Just a small child step. Yes. In the right direction. Yeah. Bryce Young uh, against Gardner Minshew. Man, I hate picking on Gardner, but boy, some of the stats are rough. (laughs) He's now second in the league in turnover-worthy plays, but he's got five big-time throws, 16 Turnover-worthy plays this year. 6.7% is – is that the highest rate? No. That's the highest rate, but it's not the highest uh, – It's the highest rate, right? Mac Jones has more total turnover-worthy plays. Yes. Actually, it's not even the highest rate if you include P.J. And Bajan. Oh, yeah, P.J.'s at 7.7. Yeah, Bajan has more turnover-worthy plays than Fields, doesn't he? Possibly. Yeah, he does. He certainly does. Mm. Fields' turnover-worthy play rate is only 2.4. Yeah. Feels turnover-worthy play rate has not been the problem. It's like staring it's at open, open throws. Right. The takes on fields are just, anyway, they're all over the place. From MVP to, like, watch the D2 guy. Yeah. Pretty wide. Pretty wide. Uh-huh. All right, what are we talking about? Minshew's been bad. Panthers. Putting the ball in harm's way. Yeah. Not good. Yeah, that's what's funny about Minshew, right? Like, if, if, if this was how he played his rookie season as a sixth-rounder, it's like, yeah, it makes sense. Threw a sixth-rounder out there. With a bad Jags team, I still never get the one of the most difficult parts of sports analysis is is like one season of good play, yeah. And what do you do with it? Even if because the Minshew one season of good play as a rookie in a not good situation in a situation in Jacksonville that was bad for multiple seasons from an offensive point of view made you feel really encouraged about Minshew that you'd think by year four, hey guy should stick around he's just been so inconsistent this year though. yeah i don't know if there's ever been any kind of deep study done on just how compartmentalized single seasons can become i don't know if it's a product of you know 30 percent of the roster turns over every year and how like half the coaching staff and blah 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 like you don't get next year's team is not this year's team right even if you think it is it's 
different by 30% or whatever, like just the average turnover in the NFL. So when you, you're looking at the guy and he plays at a given level, even over the course of a whole season and an average is out and you're like, this is where he is, you expect him to play at that kind of level next year because you're like, well, it's the same, right? Everything stayed the same and we're good. But it didn't because 30% of the team changed and the whole it's a different team every year, right? That kind of thing. Or if it's just that's how random football can be that next year it's a totally different like reset. You've no idea if the guy's going to play at the same level or not, and this is just the way it can go. And it's why it's this weird dynamic where we look at numbers all the time and say this guy is primed for regression back to the mean, you know, because his numbers are outlier right now. This is unsustainable. But it can be sustainable within a given season, right? And it, it, that's what's weird to me. And that's what you're seeing, I think, with Minshew. Like, we are seeing an outlier version of Minshew in the opposite direction that we saw an outlier version of Minshew in year one. And somewhere in the middle is likely Minshew's standard, right? Minshew's general level. But he can be nowhere near that for an extended period of time in either direction. The other element of it is, you know, when a guy plays well, say like a Brock Purdy or whatever, we go and say, okay, he's playing well or the stats are good. What are the other factors? Okay, there's a good play caller and there's good playmakers. With Minshew, it's like he's playing well, the playmakers aren't that good. The play caller doesn't necessarily have a history. Man, he's elevating the Jags. Imagine if he had a good situation. right? That's why Baker Mayfield analysis never made any sense. His, in his worst situations, he was good. In his good situations, on paper, he was not good. Anyway, um, so here we are. Colts and Panthers. Uh, it should have been Anthony Richardson versus Bryce Young. Mm-hmm. A fun little... Um, you know, back to back, it would have been back to back weeks of the Panthers facing the uh, the what could have been right in C.J. Stroud or Anthony Richardson. Do you have uh, buyer's remorse right. with with Bryce Young and one and zero in that department? Maybe we don't. You know, after last week, so we don't get to see that necessarily. But um, one thing to highlight here: Panthers' worst team EPA per play allowed against the run. Colts' run game has been hit or miss. Right, you get Zach Moss and you know breaking off big runs here and there and. Jonathan Taylor doing his thing, but it's it's just very inconsistent so far. But could be a game to get the run game going. It's probably time we gave Adam Thielen some credit as well. I mean, he's been sort of held up as this poster child for the problems of the Carolina offense and their lack of receiving talent. But he currently has a PFF grade of 85.8. Uh, he's catching 81.4% of the passes thrown his way, which admittedly is is aided by the fact that the average depth of target in those passes is only seven and a half yards. But, like, he's he's producing pretty well. I mean, he's averaging more than two yards per route run, which is a, like, it's a big enough number. Um, he's become, you know, that uber slot guy. Yeah. Dependable like he, guy. He's found the role for him within that offense. Now, they still, they're still missing certain elements. I mean, he's not, he's not even the player that he used to be, Adam Thielen. Uh, but he is good. Like, he's, he's not a problem within this offense. He's not... It's time like he was no longer held up. Like he's getting the Jacoby Myers treatment, right? Where he's only ever discussed as a reason that the, the offense stinks, right? Like Adam Thielen is your number one guy, therefore your offense is bad. Uh, Jacoby Myers is your number one receiver, therefore you have a receiver problem. Whereas actually both of those players, Adam Thielen this year and Jacoby Myers generally in his career, they're good players making positive impact. Yeah, they are. Uh, this was um... – is this the Andrew Luck rookie or Reggie Wayne? That's what Thielen kind of has become. Yeah, Uber possession guy. You just need you need help from the other receivers there in Carolina. Um, so yeah, I would keep an eye on Jonathan Taylor getting a little bit better. Uh, 
every single week might be able to have some success success against Carolina, but I think the Panthers are going to continue to take steps forward, Sam. I think the Panthers to cover <laughs> as two-and-a-half-point underdogs. We only have two more games. We're good. We're on pace. I'm also taking them to cover. We're on pace. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I didn't ask you. Yeah. New York Giants at the Las Vegas Raiders. Antonio Pierce's team now. Yeah. With the Raiders. Going against his old team. Going against his old team. Daniel Jones should be back. Yes. And it's Aiden O'Connell time. Aiden O'Connell. For the Raiders. And so uh, do you get the interim coach bump here? Remember Jeff Saturday started 1-0 last year. Against Josh McDaniels. Against Josh McDaniels. You don't get that bump. Um, So there were a couple other Josh McDaniel stats yesterday while we're talking Raiders. Uh, 22% of his career wins as a Raiders head coach came against the Patriots. Two out of nine. (laughs) The Uh, one you sent me, what was the, read that one out. His record against Belichick versus his record. He's all, and then so the next one's fifty-five percent of Josh McDaniels' wins came against the Patriots plus the Bron- uh, Broncos. Yeah, three and zero against the Broncos. Right. And now in his career, Josh McDaniels is three and zero against Bill Belichick. Right. And zero and one against Jeff Saturday. Yes, that's ridiculous. Yeah, that's absolutely farcical. I mean, that's what small sample sizes do. <laughs> Makes sense, right? Three and zero against the greatest head coach in NFL history, and zero and one against the. A high school coach slash TV analyst. Yeah. One with one week on the job. Having blown a double digit lead right against them. Yeah. Re- just stupid. Similarly, <laughs> that was the only game Saturday won, right? So 100% of yeah. Saturday's wins came against Josh <laughs> McDaniels. <laughs> we could play this game all day. It's very fun. <laughs> yeah. It's more the, fun uh, Antonio about. Pierce's Raiders are favored by one and a half here against the Giants. Yeah. I mean, so. All right, the, the job for the Raiders is just don't let Dexter Lawrence ruin the game, right? We saw last week what can happen. The Raiders' offensive line isn't great, but it's not bad either. But they are kind of a little lightweight and undermanned up front, and you're going up against this guy who is a legitimate defensive player of the year candidate for the second year in a row and by far the best nose tackle in the NFL. Like, how the hell are you stopping that guy from ruining your game? Because right now, that's job A, B, C for this offense, is just figure out how Dexter Lawrence doesn't ruin it. Because, look, the one thing we saw from Aiden O'Connell in the game he played was he his clock is too slow at the moment, right? He seizes up. He's not ready to operate at an NFL speed. And the last thing that he wants is pressure coming right up the middle of the pocket every single play. So either figure out how to stop that happening or – the pocket cannot stay stationary, right? You need to get him on the move. You need to roll him out. You need to get the pocket moving. You need anything to stop that happening that, like, every time he drops back and looks up, there is a 330-pound mountain, like, moving in his direction. In his lap, basically. In his, yeah. like, line of sight in, as well, right? Like, right in front of him is this moving wall collapsing in on him like Star Wars, right? Like, when they're trapped in the the garbage disposal thing and the walls are closing in like if Aiden O'Connell looks up and is trying to figure out where to go with the ball and that's the picture he's dealing with every play forget it game over so figure out how to make that happen that's literally the game for the the, uh, the Raiders this week can, can we just spend the rest of the time talking Dexter Lawrence stats no oh because they're fun I know oh I was going to anyway <laughs> it was a rhetorical question I see yeah it was yeah Dexter Lawrence, who plays nose tackle predominantly for the Giants, is tied for the league lead in pressures with 44. Really? Yes. Dexter Lawrence, 
when lined up at nose tackle, has 31 pressures, by far the most in the league. The next closest people have six, B.J. Hill and Michael Pierce. That's a lot. I'm going to ask you a question that you may or may not have the answer to offhand, but what percentage of his snaps are lined up at nose tackle? I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll look it up. Yeah. Because, like, uh, okay, yes. He, uh, so, I mean, these are volume stats. He rushes from nose tackle more than anyone else. Sure, yeah. And everything. Like, but, but this is crazy stuff. This is also one of those, if you can do it at this level, of course we're going to give you more opportunities. Right. When we've studied pressure, this makes intuitive sense. Pressure that comes against the center is the most detrimental to the offense. Makes sense, right? It's di- mm-hmm. It is directly in the pocket. Yeah. Um, and it gets less bad as you move out, guards. And tackles, but then the centers, by definition, also give up fewer pressures, which means when Dexter Lawrence has a game like last week with 14 pressures just from nose tackle, and has these other oh, no sorry last week he had 12 from nose tackle. He also has the highest games eight last year in the wild card game or seven in the wild card game eight in other games seven. In, those are the most detrimental pressures to an offense. So, you're, so he has these games where 20, 30, 40 percent of dropbacks he is in the quarterback's lap. That is unbelievable. Well, so. he, he is he's the one guy that is changing the dynamic of like cent, what centers have to do in the game now, right? Centers have become, they all look like Alex Gibbs players, right? They're all like 285 now because you don't need a 330-pound center anymore because the teams that play a head up right over the top of Gilbert Brown nose tackle don't exist anymore. Those, that, those have gone. So now every center is starting to look like Jason Kelsey, where their primary objective is being lightweight and nimble and athletic, and all they need to do is to help out a guard every now and again and then get on the move. Now you roll up against the Giants, and Dexter Lawrence is taking these 285-pound centers and <laughs> driving them back into the quarterback. So the Raiders have got Andre James at center. That guy is listed at 300 pounds. So he's going up, he's, th- he's at least 30 pounds outweighed and outmuscled by Dexter Lawrence. And, and they can actually keep that as a one-on-one matchup in a way that other teams don't because they don't play that true nose tackle. Yeah, so 74% of his snaps are a nose tackle. Right. So it's, and, he's ma- and a ma- lot of it is zero tech, head up on yeah. the center. So they're making that an issue every yeah. week in a way that no other team pretty much does. Yeah, Lawrence was the second most valuable defensive tackle in the league last year using PFF War, second most this year. Um, and given the role adjustment, you could argue the most valuable. You could argue defensive player of the year because, again, nose tackles, it's easier to double them. It's easier to get one or both guards to help out if needed. And he's still getting to the quarterback. So that's what I'm watching in this game. It's Dexter Lawrence. Uh, Raiders by one and a half. Where are you going with this? Uh, I just talked. We've just talked ourselves collectively into me taking the Giants. Me t- <laughs> Dexter Lawrence, game wrecker. That's it, huh? Just Monday, uh, Monday Night Football. Wow, doing pretty well. Los Angeles Chargers at the New York Jets. Chargers favored by three and a half in East Rutherford yeah, at the Jets. Three and four Chargers against the four and three Jets. See, this one's the Jets by three and a half. Are they four and or three? Or the, the Chargers by three and a half. This is the one, mm. yeah. Did I get the Jets record right? Yeah, they're four and three. <laughs> With a uh, point differential of minus three Jets. Hanging tough right now. Hanging tough. They are, yeah. I mean, their defense is keeping them alive. Like, the offense getting just enough going. Brees Hall's making a few plays. 
Uh, Zach Wilson's made a few plays, ticking up, trending in the right direction. Yeah, last week was his worst grade since week three. But again, we just described the, the Dexter Lawrence stuff that we just described all happened against Zach Wilson and the Jets. Yeah. So. And even, I mean, you know, last week, so the the sort of general performance was as bad as early in the season, but he was still more productive, you know? Like, that's the thing. He had 100 more yards than week one when he was also bad. Uh, so I think that's kind of important is that they, they're actually using him a bit more and can be more productive. So even a even an ineffective Zach Wilson, if he's passing more, like he's averaging 6.7 yards per attempt in both week one and week eight, but in week eight he had whatever that is, like 15 more attempts, right? So 15 more attempts at 6.7 yards per attempt is better than your run game is going to do. So as long as you don't turn the ball over, you're going to have more offensive production. Yeah, the thing that has me somewhat intrigued with Zach Wilson, not that he's going to become a superstar or anything, but I think he has gotten a little bit better, a little bit better. If Aaron Rodgers was still playing right now for the Jets, we'd be talking about how Aaron Rodgers is really struggling behind this offensive line. Not struggling, but it's it's probably doing something to the offense where maybe Rodgers in this offense were not going to live up to expectations because they have a 49 passing grade here so far this season. It would be a big story. The offensive line or pass blocking issues for the Jets would be a big story if Rodgers was under center. When it's Zach Wilson, it's like, well, the production kind of looks a lot like last year, so it's just what Zach Wilson is. I'm curious if he did have that really stout offensive line because at BYU, it was a stout offensive line and just wasn't facing good pass rushers, and he you know, he's sitting in this clean pocket, and the people that were critical of Zach Wilson said, well, he's never faced pressure, mm. and he had massive pockets, which was true. And I'm not saying you're going to have that same level of offensive line performance in the NFL, but if you just gave Zach Wilson five or six more clean pockets per game, what would that do for his production? That's what has me somewhat intrigued by the fact that I think he's looking better right now, and the Jets are still having issues up front. Yeah. Against this Chargers defense, again, they're hit or miss. They have those games where Khalil Mack will go off, other times where they tend to disappear. But this seems like one of those games where the Chargers can rush the passer, put a little pressure on Zach Wilson. But on the other side, the Jets' defense has been outstanding. Um, Justin Herbert, bottom five in the NFL, uh, PFF grade on 20-plus yard throws. And the Jets allowing just 15% completions on 20-plus yard throws. This needs to be the other Herbert games underneath, you know, hitting the, you know, Keenan Allen, high volume underneath stuff because it's, you know, Jets are making a lot of quarterbacks look bad so far this year. Are we in a position yet to make any determination on the Justin Herbert, Kellen Moore connection, whether it's been a success, failure, and or nothing? Um. I asked that because Herbert has been playing with that like scaffolding rig on his finger on okay non-throwing finger Last but like the there's ribs. no way that doesn't affect you right having this absurd cast hanging off your middle finger as you're trying to every time you watch him fall over he's doing that thing you do when you have like a hurt hand wrist arm whatever like trying to fall without putting your hand on the ground which is not easy there's no way that's not affecting his play in some way shape or form yeah, for what, they're averaging just as a team, including defensive scores or whatever, they're averaging about a point and a half more this year than they did last year. I think overall it's been directionally good or better for the Chargers. And it coincides with what's interesting is, so the overall production is better. It's, you know, it's as you said, they're scoring more points. His, he's got 13 touchdowns to four interceptions, so his passer rating is the best it's ever been. Uh, he's tying 
his high in yards per attempt, et cetera, and yet it's the worst PFF grade of his career, the worst passing grade by a significant margin, he's almost doubling his uh, turnover-worthy play rate from the last two years, which was the league's best, which remember, we've been, we were kind of uh, asking for that to happen, right? That number should go up because you're being more aggressive. And if you're being more aggressive, that will lead to more of these big plays. And his average depth of target has gone way up relative to last year, up even relative to the two years before that. His big time throw rate is is up, but not massively. So I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence here as to whether this has been successful or not. Yeah, to me, when I see the bad, I mentioned the the deep passing grade. And, you know, like I mentioned Mahomes' uh, deep passing numbers being pretty poor earlier in the show. That stuff doesn't concern me a ton because I think a lot of that is is playmaker-driven. Uh, the grade is less so playmaker-driven, but the stats certainly are. So that makes me think you take care of the stuff that you can control the most, which is everything up to 20 yards. You have the biggest impact on that. The deep stuff is, you know, for like Mahomes, the deep numbers, a lot of times it's do you have Tyree Kill or not? Do you have Marquez Valdez-Scantling creating separation? For Herbert, do you have Mike Williams in the lineup to just throw, you know give him opportunities to hit downfield back shoulders to, uh, to flip the field? You don't have that. You have to play this Keenan Allen type of game. So I'm not terribly concerned. I think it's directionally good, the, um, the Kellen Moore era. But it's going to be challenging against the Jets. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw the first signs of life, really, from Quentin Johnson last week. Does that continue this week? Do they keep trying to get him the ball some more, um, get him more involved in the offense? I think both teams, like both sides need it, right? Quentin Johnson needs it, obviously, because he's being looked at as a disappointment relative to Jordan Addison, et cetera, after half the season. And the Chargers need it. Otherwise, what the hell was the point in drafting Quentin Johnson in the first round? Yeah. Three and a half, man. What do you think? Chargers favored here in New York. It's tough to pass there anyway. Jets defense locking things down. Yeah, I'm going to go. Chargers defense being pretty inconsistent here. I'm going to go with the Jets. Man, if we have we That have defense agreed, is good. We have agreed on all but three games, I think. Great. It means we're both headed for three wins. Yeah. I was going to go the Jets, too. I'll go Chargers to mix it up. <laughs> Very scientific here. Oh, yeah. Because I don't want to agree with you. Did you type Jets in? No, no, I have. I'll take the Chargers to go back to four and four. This is as scientific as the, uh, the spotting of the football and the measuring by chains. Pretty much. Yeah. It was a great show. It was a great show. No. It's a lot of fun. Good. I enjoyed it. Excellent. I hope everyone else did. <laughs> I think that's more important, to be it honest, is. than it whether is we enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it. Join the Discord, by the way. Talk over there. Mm-hmm. Um, that link should be in the, in the YouTube link. Uh, yeah, in the description of description. the show, That's both places, I believe. I've run out of words. Oh, okay. Well, you've only been talking for two hours, so it makes sense. To mix it up. Remember, Steve. email us. Um, join the Discord, as Steve says. You'll find the description, uh, the link in the description. Also, email us to, to tell us whether or not you would enjoy some form of uh, old game watch-along live on YouTube. And what should we watch? Yes. Like, which... Which 90s Jags game do you want to watch with me? We think Randall Cunningham games would be an amazing thing to watch in the year 2023, given the insanity of the box score numbers of some of those games. But if you have a better idea and can find it on YouTube, which is the important part here, uh, let us know. Hashtag uh, NFLpodcast.pff.com. And then the charity drive is the other thing. Would you be interested in a four-way charity drive battle? 
between myself, Steve, Brad Spielberger, Trevor Sykema, we all raise money for a cause each individually. And then whoever gets the most money over a given period of time gets to make the other three people do something dumb. We should play two-on-two basketball. You keep coming up with all these ideas when we currently reside in three separate cities across the Northern Hemisphere. Chances are in the next six months we'll be in the same city for at least more than a day. I'm not convinced that's true. We can go to the Y, (laughs) hoop it up, you and me. We'll do the regulars versus the guests, basically. Or just tall people versus small people. Me and Brad? Yeah. Versus you and Trevor? That would be kind of funny. (laughs) You You think? You can't move around. I'm sure Brad can play. Yeah, but you can't move. It doesn't matter. I don't need to. Of course you need to. You don't need to move to hit sky hooks like I do. Jump hooks. Jump hook. I've seen your strike rate on those. All right, that's it for us today. We'll see you again. Uh, Sam will be here tomorrow talking Titans-Steelers. I'll see you again on Monday reviewing all the Week 9 NFL action.